In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. To exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Welcome to Filmstrip. None of you did anything to prevent this. There's nothing we could do. You were totally unprepared for this. Ah, don't get me unprepared. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled and contain in-depth discussions of the plots, characters, and themes. Keep the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Oh, excuse me, Mr. President. That's not... Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Nick. And I'm Kurt. And this is our review of Independence Day, starring Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, Margaret Collins, Vivica A. Fox, Mary McDonald, Judd Hirsch, Robert Loggia, Randy Quaid, James Freeborn, and even Harry Connick Jr. Directed by Roland Emmerich, released in 1996 on a budget of $75 million, grossed over $817 million, making it the highest grossing film of 1996. So, Nick, why are we talking about Independence Day in the fall of the year? Um, because we're in the podcasting mood and we both have recently saw this. <laughs> I really think that's the reason why. Yeah, I just saw it on TV the other day, and it's been years since I saw it. And I just remember a movie that was just, like, so hyped up, and I just figured, hey, you know what? It's a movie, I think, that's kind of like the quintessential summer movie. I know a lot of people talk about, like, Jaws or something like that. But for me, it was always, like, Independence Day was always the biggest summer movie. And, you know, we're getting kind of towards the end of the summer, so I figured it'd be kind of nice to kind of go back and kind of revisit what, you know, Independence Day. Well, yeah, and it is the thing that launched Will Smith uh, for a short time into the stratosphere as a bankable summer blockbuster star. Now, that has since faded <laughs> uh, most recently <laughs> with the, his recent project, After Earth. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I, there was a time, though, when he was the hottest thing in Hollywood, and this film was uh, was a large part of it. And I remember distinctly the ad campaign for this. You know, enjoy the for this uh, Christmas. It'll be your last you know, because they started putting that out December beforehand. And I, I had just graduated from high school. And so I was like, okay, that looks interesting. So I, I was just working in this. This was the summer 
my freshman year of college. So I, you know, I went to see this, I think on just a random Thursday night or something like that. And, uh, you know, I have seen it. Uh, I think it was one of the ones I saw more than one time in a theater and I've owned it on VHS and DVDs. One of the first DVDs I bought had a ton of extras on it. And so I've seen this countless number of times and, you know, but it had been a while, uh, rewatching it, uh, for this review. It had been a while since I had laid eyes on it. What about you, Kurt? When did you catch this first? Well, uh, 1996, I was in the third grade. I did not. <laughs> so you got someone that's starting, just starting college, and then we got someone who's just starting elementary school. <laughs> God, I'm really old. Yeah. So we, we just, we just got to the letter G, and, uh, this was uh, a VHS watch for me. I didn't see it in the theater. And, uh, I just remember watching this so many times on VHS. This was a constant. Rewatch and all of my friends at the time uh, were huge fans of this movie too, and we kind of knew all the lines back and forth. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it from the beginning. I wonder if the movie was tailored more to my age, perhaps. But uh, yeah, with, no, with the really, uh, the uh, stripper scenes and everything—that's totally third grade. Yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I absolutely uh, loved it. I found uh, all the sci-fi stuff easy to understand, and uh, you know. I got it right away, and yeah, and, and enjoy it, and still enjoy it. Actually, it's a it's a very much a guilty pleasure, but I genuinely enjoy the film. It is a tour de force of like homages to better sci-fi. You know, there's 2001 yeah. references, Star Wars, Out the Wazoo, all three of the original trilogy, all over this thing. Uh, War of the Worlds, uh, and I'm not talking about the goofy oh, yeah. Tom Cruise one either. You know, there's that. Yeah. There's um, Alien is in this thing. Even the Black Hole from Disney. I mean, gosh, there's there's all kinds <laughs> of and, and also something that I don't know. You know, I'm old enough to actually remember the the 70s disaster films. You know, Towering Inferno oh, yeah. and all of that stuff. You know, when you had I guess you could say those had all-star casts, but at the time, they were cast with people that were just good character actors, and that's kind of what this one is, too. And Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, his producer on this one, have tried to make a career out of that model. They've tried to recreate this film so many times and have never been able to do it again, <laughs> even though they've had success, that now they're actually coming around and doing a sequel to this all these years later. I mean, there's talk of a, a sequel <laughs> to this in 2015, so... I guess this is the start of a retrospective for that. If that ever comes out and we're still <laughs> podcasting at that point, we'll uh, we'll talk about it. But uh, you know, sadly, Harry Connick will not be a part of that podcast. But uh, <laughs> as, as it goes, but now I, you know, I I think you said the key words there. Kurt, this is the definitive guilty pleasure summer flick <laughs> uh, of of really my generation. I mean, I always, you know, Jaws is my favorite film. It's the big summer blockbuster, Star Wars, you can argue that. But really, in our age range, this is the film that set that bar up there again. And it's why now studios push all these big budget action things in the summer. I mean, that's usually when we see these kind of things, either that or at Christmas time. And so... You know, I'm sure when Thor comes out this holiday season, we'll see advertisements for the next round of superhero stuff that's for the summer of 2014. And that tends to be how these things cycle around every um, six months or so. So I think we need to do a plot summary here for this and then go into the film and, and discuss it uh, proper. So I'm going to do that real quick and then we can have some real fun with it. Are we doing it from the point of day. view of the spaceship? Now, <laughs> no, this is not our terror vision uh, <laughs> version, but uh, maybe no, you can write we should, that up on Facebook. We should have done from the point page. of view of the dog. <laughs> 
actually, I was just going to say, yeah. yeah. Actually, the, well, he is the hero of most of this. And I will say this is interesting <laughs> because, Kurt, you are Canadian. And so your That's Independence right. Day is a completely different animal than you know, mine and Nick's. If this was the Canadian Independence Day, the movie would be set on July 1st. <laughs> and so on, yeah. Like, I, I had no idea what Independence Day was until probably, you know, two years after seeing the movie. <laughs> and with that, we'll go into the plot summary. So, on July the 2nd, Aliens arrive in gigantic mothership uh, that uh, prepares to invade Earth. It sends huge ships that fire off of it to hover over the major cities. And they use Earth satellites to communicate and time their attack, which television engineer David Levinson, played by Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> figures out, but not in time to stop the attack. The alien forces decimate major cities, including Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C., but the president escapes along with a few key staff members, and Levinson in tow, his ex-wife, who's worked for the president, and somehow or another his really incredibly Jewish father. On July the 3rd, uh, Air Force One lands at Area 51, where we learn that a large number of scientists have been studying the aliens and their technology at great expense for 40 years, but really know nothing. And meanwhile, in a dogfight with alien ships, uh, Marine and Air Force pilot uh, Stephen Hillary is shot down by one of the ships, but manages to crash it and knock the alien out with a single punch. Uh, Will Smith's got a good right hook, folks. Then he drags the alien carcass across the desert in there to Area 51 because he knew it existed, even though the president didn't. Uh, later, the captured alien takes control of the president's mind for a few seconds and nearly kills him before he's shot dead. The president now knows that the aliens are so evil and finally authorizes the use of nuclear weapons, which have absolutely no effect. And in a fit of drunken depression, Levinson theorizes that uploading a computer virus will disable the alien communications long enough for remaining forces to launch a counterattack. So... On July the 4th, Levinson and Hiller fly the Roswell alien aircraft armed with a nuclear weapon directly to the mothership, which takes control of them and docks them. Meanwhile, on Earth, the alien city ships are moving toward their new target cities, including Area 51. And because all of Earth's top guns are dead, the Air Force basically gives anybody that can stand up straight, and maybe not even that straight, <laughs> a chance to go flying into battle, which includes drunken father Randy Quaid. Because in, in a, a biographical role, no doubt. Levinson sends the computer virus to the alien computers, which actually turns out to be every bit as insecure as our own. The amateur pilots run low on missiles, though, and one of them, Randy Quaid, becomes a sacrifice, flying his plane into the giant laser ray, which destroys the ship. The USA Morse codes that around the world and other ships are destroyed in like manner. Meanwhile, back in space, Levinson and Hiller launch their nuke, and somehow that undocks them and enables them to have just enough time to escape the ship as the nuclear uh, explosive detonates and destroys the entire mothership. And then the entire cast meets in the desert for a final hoorah as credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> that is about as short and sweet as I could sum up the myriad of things that happen in the two and a half hours that are Independence Day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a big movie there are so many characters i mean it's almost as many characters like magnolia or shortcuts or something wow i can't believe you just put magnolia and shortcuts in the same league as in the i was gonna say the godfather wow even worse <laughs> i don't know which one of you to put in movie jail for longer now <laughs> so, <laughs> after that but no you're right it is an ensemble cast and it continues to grow like july the second if it's the first act 
it, it just keeps adding people in. <laughs> I mean, there, we didn't even talk about the stripper girlfriend wife of Will Smith <laughs> um, or, you know, Harry Connick Jr. or, you know, so many other people in this thing. But really, it is about, I would say there are three main characters in this that we, we follow around. The president, Levinson, Jeff Goldblum, and then uh, Hiller. Will Smith, and then everybody else really kind of plays to them or belongs to them in some way, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you got with Will Smith's character, um, you got his, obviously got his stripper girlfriend, and then you got him, you know, the beginning of Will Smith trying to incorporate people from his other parts of life into his movie career, and now he does it with his kid. Back in the day, he did it with the kid from uh, what the show, he's on uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That was a little, uh, he played Nikki in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, his son in this movie. I did not realize that was who that kid was. I had stopped watching. Neither yeah, did I. So, wow. And then, of course, you got the dog. So, I mean, you got the dog that can't die. <laughs> how, yeah, how could I forget the damn dog? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is, he is a survivor, that golden retriever. <laughs> well, then, with, then with Goldblum, of course, you got, like, you got his wife, his ex-wife, the one that he can't get over. And yet they had, like, a divorce, but it was, like, an amicable divorce because she got a job in Washington and... He didn't want to leave his job? Well, like, it's it's sort of this idea that she wanted him to go and achieve great things, and he was happy being, you know, the, the cable engineer in New York and just, you know, hang, bumming around with his dad and being a, kind of a pseudo-hippie, you know, and all this stuff. And she went to work for the guy who eventually became the president, and he didn't like him and punched him out, apparently, somewhere along the campaign trail. So that's, you know, there's six degrees of separation. <laughs> I would say also, like you say, the three those three main characters. I think uh, Randy Quaid is the fourth lead in this movie. Like we follow a lot of him throughout this movie, his story with the corrupt dusting and his kids and so on. And uh, and him, he, he's a whole. That's you could do a whole show on that character. And I was just thinking while you were describing uh, Randy Quaid's character in the plot summary, Randy Quaid in reality is becoming more and more like his character in Independence Day every day. This with this conspiracy nut uh, insanity and uh, what is he robbing banks or something and seeking asylum? The thing in is, Canada I think Randy Quaid plays the same. I character. see a lot of that character. I mean, this is this is Uncle Eddie, right? Oh, cousin, cousin, cousin Eddie. Eddie. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's Cousin Eddie. It is Cousin Eddie if he were a uh, widowed alcoholic crop duster who had been abducted by aliens. I mean, it's like every redneck stereotype in the world about this guy, which actually it all turns out to be true. That's the, the I guess, the twist of it. <laughs> I mean, he even says it at the end there. You know, I, I've been waiting to get payback for 10 years and all that. And that was a big laugh in the, in the theater. I remember that, you know, distinctly. But no, I mean, he tends to play the same thing a lot of the time. I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call him a main character, though. This is kind of like more like the C plot of the movie. And actually kind of even talking about it right now, how it's structured. I mean, we just got done doing the the stand and I really feel this movie kind of like structure is almost kind of like a structured the same way that movie is how you got it like kind of broken up into parts and then how you kind of got different subsets of group that are all going to combine in the final showdown at the end. Well, I mean, the longest part is the first act, the whole setup and everything and really what comes up to the attack that takes out the major cities the first time around, which is not just New York, LA and DC. I mean, it's Moscow, Tokyo, you know, it's around the world that this Mm -hmm. happens. And they just sort of, they never show another city getting destroyed again. They just talk about it. You know, Chicago, Atlanta, Philadelphia. You know, they go through all no, of them. No, no, no one cares about And then, yeah. <laughs> well, and our own government nukes Houston, you know, no one likes so in an attempt to, to nuke the aliens. <laughs> but I'm going I'm to so, give a compliment the, right off the bat. I think it actually starts okay. off really well. And I just like the way that it kind of just throws you right into it. I mean, the first thing we get Absolutely, is the spaceship yeah. showing up. I mean, 
that's exactly what we want in this type of movie. I mean, it's not like they got like some type of like scenes like set 30 years earlier where maybe some guy kind of discovers them and then he, no one believes them or, you know, it just throws you right into the, basically the invasion, which I think is good. And I like the way that it all kind of comes together where you got the guy who sees it, you know, kind of has all his tools, you know, and he sees that something's happening and he informs Washington and or informs the military. And it just kind of like the whole structure of how it's going down from there. Actually, I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, well, I'll bring up right away. The military outfits in this movie are completely wrong. I mean, <laughs> anybody who knows anything about knows about the military. He's yeah, the, secretary, he's the defense, secretary. He's in like the, a flight yeah. uniform one uh, second, and then the next one he's in a Marine outfit, and then he's in an Army outfit, <laughs> and then I think he's in a Navy outfit. I mean, he's like he's always switching outfits. I remember even reading an interview where the guy, the costume guy, goes, "I had no idea what I was doing with this." And it completely shows because it's like the stuff he's wearing is so wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know that's the point though, is, and I think you've made a good point. It, you know, I said this had a lot of uh, kinship with '70s disaster films, and it does in the way that you know all hell has to break loose before anybody can, you know, the common man can find the answer. But one thing it doesn't do that those films do is have this incredibly long, drawn out, dramatic setup to everything. It, it it throws you right in the deep end. I mean, this is more akin to like. Jaws 2 than Jaws because we know what the gimmick is. There's aliens. We want to see the shark. You know, they show it to us right out of the gate. And I like that too. I think it's good. And I, I want to say this another thing too. This was a film made in the earliest days when it was remotely feasible to do computer generated graphics. So much of what we see here is models, miniatures, and practical effects. And I got to say, for the most part, that stuff generally holds up. I mean, it, this movie looks cool, whether it is cool or not. Yeah, the, the practical stuff, like the stuff involving models and when the actual buildings are blown up, that stuff holds up perfectly. Like, you could, you could still put that stuff in a movie today. You just need to make the models a little bigger to make it a little more realistic. But uh, the effects in this movie that aren't CG hold up very well, particularly anything involving explosions and fire. Like when the explosions are spreading across the cities, that stuff is fantastic. I even think the flying sequence stuff works for the most part. Most of that looks pretty well, good. Well, they've been doing that well since Top Gun. I yep. mean, I think everything in here that's basically practical or miniatures works really well, like you guys are saying. But you can see when it's CGI's, when it's a CGI images, oh, and those yeah. matte lines are, you know, those are as thick as, you know, Al Sharpton's freaking eyebrows. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane <laughs> how green screened it looked and you you look at even stuff like i don't know even like other stuff that kind of comes out around the time i think like jurassic park was a couple years before this and i guess the cg in that movie oh you know trumps obviously independence day but it's just kind of funny to kind of see everything kind of take a step back from that movie especially when that's this big when it comes to the cg work but nevertheless i mean it's very it's in the movie very little but it does look good and it sets up things very quickly like they introduce us to characters very fast like we get to know will smith Real quick, he's snoozing with his woman or whatever, and the dog's laying on the bed, and the kid tries to wake him up, and he goes outside to read the L.A. Times, and everybody's moving away, and he's, he, you know, he makes some crack about, yeah, all the white people leaving, you know, and then he looks up, and it's like, there's that ship, <laughs> and I thought, well, that that was really good. It was well done. Like Will Smith works best when he he can use his kind of dry comic timing, and I thought he was funny in this. I mean, I I don't have any problem with him in most of this. Yeah, his pers like the Will Smith persona almost reminds me of like the Robert Downey Jr. or the Jack Nicholson persona. Like it's kind of the same thing in every movie, and this is where Will Smith set all that up. 
And yeah, I like it a lot. He's playing the same. He plays the same guy in Men in Black and Wild Wild West. And I do think he's actually well, very good. Well, it's the first time the he's ever really done this shtick before. But what I kind of like though right. is, you know, normally when you got a movie with like kind of like a dual dual role, they kind of split it apart three different guys here. You know, a lot of times movies you'll get like you know the funny comedic sidekick, and then you get the serious hero. Well, they kind of mix it all up between three characters. Where you got like the hero guy, Will Smith. I mean, he's your he's the tough guy of the movie, but he's also funny. And then you have the nerdy guy who normally kind of might be the comic relief or might be like the overly serious one, but he's like somewhere in the middle. He's kind of got like that dry, witty sense of humor, but he's also got, you know, the intelligence part. And then you got Bill Pullman who is kind of got the strong lead, you know, strong leader type personality to him, but he's kind of a weakling guy who is also the president. So I think it's kind of neat how they kind of like separated all that stuff into three main characters. And I love how they set the president up here, too. He's not a popular president. He was elected because he was a war hero. So, I mean, like, immediately, you know, like, well, at some point he's going to join the fight, which he does. We'll talk about that. But, you know, they're talking about him on Crossfire or whatever, and they're all going, yeah, we thought we were electing this great warrior, and he's pretty much just a big compromising whip. And, it's you know, it's he's got low approval ratings. Nothing's going well. you know, And, you know, he's trying to just hang on by any thread he can as a first-term president. And, I, you know, I like that. Oftentimes when the president is in a movie, he's always either this old white guy who's, you know, behind a desk and just talking, or he's this real strong, you know, Mel Gibson type, you know, from, from that archetype. And I like the fact that Pullman is this really just kind of everyday schlub that got elected president and doesn't really seem to know how to handle it. Like, he's in over his own speed. He's very much a pacifist here. in the first half of this movie. He's just kind of like... They're telling her, like, the lady comes up, or Goldblum's wife comes up to her, and he's like, you know, they're ripping on you. They're saying all this stuff, and he's just like, yeah, all right, I'm just going to read the paper. You know, he just, he just doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. Any thoughts on Bill Pullman, Kurt? Well, uh, I also want to point out, I was thinking about this. Uh, this is the, the, with this movie, this is the first time I've seen any of these actors in the film. So from now on, I always link them back to this movie. And Bill Pullman stands out the most. Whenever I see him, all I see is him uh, as the president of the United States, given that. Has he done anything else, though? I mean, he's in what, like. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's been in a lot of things. That's the thing. He's, he, they tried him in romantic comedies with Sandra Bullock. Yeah, Anna and I reviewed that while you were sleeping a long time uh, ago. See, I, I know, I know from Lake hear Placid that. and Mr. Wrong, and that's it. Yeah, yeah he's he's done that, <laughs> but he's been in other stuff too. That's the thing is like he's he's been in other things. It's just he is not a leading man. He was in a, a really interesting thriller called um, oh, what was that? Malice with uh, Alec Baldwin and uh, Nicole Kidman, and he plays kind of the same character there. He's just sort of this everyman. Like he he fits in that everyman category of somebody like Roy Scheider from the 70s or something like I I buy him as that but I'm with you Kurt like I had seen him and stuff before this but from here on out I'm waiting for him to grab a CD microphone and start giving that speech you know because that's that's his defining moment as an actor it is I mean you know I mean every actor wants to get a speech like that and uh guess we'll get maybe we'll get to that later but he you know he nails that speech you know the president the leader a uh, big speech, which is, it's actually after Braveheart, but uh, that speech, that's in the top 10 of movie speeches, I would say. Certainly in terms of delivery and the way the film is, that way that scene is shot and everything, and the music. Got to mention the score by David Arnold, who uh, went on to do Casino Royale and uh, Daniel Craig Bond films. Uh, but yeah, Bill Pullman, uh, I thought it was very, 
good in this movie. And that kind of leads us to Goldblum, you know, who I know as The Fly, and he was in Jurassic Park. I mean, he's been in a Earth million things. Easy. Jeff Goldblum. All... Yeah, yeah, who could forget that? And, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum to me always delivers with just this strange, like, you could buy him as an intellectual performance, but he always undermines his own confidence as a character. I don't know what it is. It's something about the guy, but he, I'm, I think it was David Duchovny used to do a really good riff of him back on the in the SNL days, and he would do a thing of him, and he would just start talking in these non sequiturs and just sort of look around the room and, and just kind of be spacey. I mean, he's, that's that. That's the character type that Goldblum seems to always bring to anything he's in. Hmm. And, I mean, I watch this and I think it's like they stuck Ian Malcolm working for a cable network in New York. I mean, that's how he comes <laughs> off. Yeah, it's hard to actually believe, right? You know, after I think after Jurassic Park, they were kind of maybe pushing him to kind of be like, I would say like the next leading man, but kind of like a genre film type guy. Because, I mean, this was, in, this was pretty close after Jurassic Park. And... I don't know. It just seemed like it was kind of kind of funny that he goes from one blockbuster to the next. Yeah, he he's an actor who, uh, much like Bill Pullman, he's kind of faded away very sadly. He's a fantastic actor. His performance in The Fly is just one of the best performances in any movies, and he's very good in this movie. And I was thinking about this, uh, that persona of him in Jurassic Park and in this, it's all it's almost like. Uh, a what if Woody Allen was in a movie like this? He's, I think that's, I don't know if it's a hundred percent intentional, but that's how I, I see him in this movie is that if Woody Allen was in a massive sci-fi epic action film. And you know, that's the thing, like he was in the invasion of the body snatchers remake in the seventies. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but he's great in that too, but it's the same yeah. performance and you're not wrong. It's the nebbish Jew kind of thing. I mean, that's that's what he tries to play, that character archetype that Woody Allen has made famous. He is very much that character. And, I, you know, I, the thing, though, about that with Goldblum is because he gives the same performance all the time, I have an expectation when I see him on screen. And I mostly get it every time I see him. And he's really the audience's in to this film. And that's the interesting part is because most of us couldn't do what he does for a living, can't calculate things the way he does and stuff like that. But he's the one given all of the exposition, really, and explaining how everything works. I mean, he figures out stuff about the aliens that no one knows. There's a cut scene in the special edition, which I don't recommend you watch the special edition because it's just a lot of superfluous extra stuff. But he's at the... Uh, the Area 51 when Brent Spiner's there, you know, and he like figures out how to work the ship, and this guy has spent 40 years working on it and has no clue about it. I mean, that's, you know, Goldblum always plays this smarter than the room, but still cool to hang out with guy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. I mean, that's the way it was in Jurassic Park. I mean, I think you I think you nailed it with saying, like, he's kind of like the audience is in. He's basically relaying everything what the audience is thinking when they're watching us. And he's the only one that doesn't have special clearance to be where he is. He's only there because he convinces his father to drive to D.C. to rescue his ex-wife, you know, before the countdown hits, which is yeah. amazing. Well, let's, let's, let's get into that. I mean, the first thing we get in this movie, I mean, after the military kind of figures out what's going on, when they think it might be like a meteor coming in and stuff, we get the actual scenes of the spaceship coming into the city. And again, I think this is just another spectacular right. scene. When you see these things entering in the atmosphere, you know, those big giant fireballs as they enter through, and when they go through the cities, I mean, it is awesome the way it looks. I mean, you get everybody's reaction shots. I mean, it's kind of a staple now. But back then, I mean, that's kind of something newer. Just like you get these wide shots, everybody just kind of watching this huge special effect come in. 
And again, I just think it's just this beginning of this movie is really, really strong. And I love how Goldblum's, you know, Kiss's reaction to it, where everybody else is in his building, you know, his cable network building, wherever he works, they're all running down and he runs up because he's got to see this. And right. everything is great. I mean, I don't know, you guys, how do you guys feel about the beginning? Well, I think it builds a lot of tension, and I like that. I mean, for a, for a film that throws us right in the deep end quick, they need to raise the stakes and let us know that this is not just people coming to say hello. This is not E.T. phoning home. You know, these people are here for another reason. And it, there's only one guy, of course, that realizes this. And that's the, and that's our, you know, our end for the audience. So I like it. I, I like the setup. I mean, how do you, how do you guys feel even about like how like everybody even reacts to this? I mean, everybody's in awe, kind of suspicious and stuff like that. Do you feel like everything's kind of believable though? I mean, once these things land, I mean, there's still a lot of people to live underneath them. I mean, you'd almost think that like you got these like 15 mile wide spaceships. I know it's, I know it's a lot of oh. city to have to evacuate. Hey, but the- you, the thing I love is the newscast that breaks in and says, we asked Los Angelinos not to fire their weapons at the alien attackers. Yeah. And because I'm from the South, I'm going, they would have to do that. I, I put you, you, you know, forget, please I, put I, your yeah, guns I away. After you. You, might incident, you might accidentally start an intergalactic war. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, I think people react to this the way you normally would. The film that rips this off the most is Armageddon, when the, the first meteors hit and stuff like that. Like, that whole the whole scene of that going down, I'm like, this is a total ripoff of Independence Day, which itself is a ripoff of so many other things. But I, I always think that this set the bar for alien invasions for, you know, 30 years in film. Yeah, I mean, the movie borrows a lot, and a lot of movies borrow it f- now, I mean, every single one of Roland Emmerich's movies borrows from this movie. I mean, he just he's basically remaking this movie, whether it's, okay, instead of Aliens, we're going to have it be the... Godzilla. Lord. Yeah, or Godzilla, or we're going to do... Or Snow. Or Snow. Yeah, or Snow. Or <laughs> You're right. Or something. Or we're just going to know what, like in 2012, <laughs> we're just going to have everything come at you. <laughs> everything you can think of is coming at you. The end of time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But we also get into, I mean, we get into the movie with that, and I just... I really just love how everything just kind of transpires on July 2nd. I mean, you got Will Smith. He gets called back to his military base because it's like, hey, you know what? Your, your barbecue, you got to go back. You know, we're obviously calling. Everybody's going to be on DEFCON Def 4 right now. Everybody's got to go back. And I love the even way his like, girlfriend's like yelling. She's like, starts flipping out on him. And it's such a, I think it's actually a great response because she's just like, she's so mad at him. He's like, what do you want me to do? And she's like, we have a barbecue to go to and stuff like that. And then this shows up and she like points at the spaceship and he's just like, yeah, I know. That's why I have to leave. It's exactly. <laughs> Kurt, let me ask you, because you were the youngest of us when you saw this the first time. Like, how did you react to this, the, the whole setup of this and how everybody is sort of overreacting to the aliens coming in? Do you remember? Well... I remember at the time, uh, this probably would have been the first science fiction movie like it that I have seen. This is the first movie about aliens invading Earth that I had ever seen. And uh, so it set my sights high in terms of how big it can be. And that's what I love about this film. If I think if you were to remake this film, the only thing I would change is it stays in America when we're seeing all the shit, uh, all the ships. I would just maybe just just quickly show, you know, there's the Eiffel Tower, you know, there's Big Ben. Just show that they really are going around the world. But they they kind of do though, don't they? I mean, they they're showing newscasts. I think they're trying to show you you show it show it to you from the perspective of these characters. You really never leave the percept, you know, the uh the perspective of each of these three. I mean, it jumps back and forth, 
but they're kind of watching it all in the news, and I kind of like that when they're showing like Moscow with it coming in and all the riots there. Well, the, the the newscast is an easy way to take people around the world without having to go shoot something that looks like it's around the world or actually go shooting around the yeah. world. That's a that's a simple trick, but if it's done effectively, it works. And I think I'm, I'm with Kurt here. I think that works. Yeah, like I think you, it is probably correct that the the first act of this movie before the ships start firing is probably the best stuff in the movie. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder if you hadn't seen the film and didn't know what the the film was about, if there was a question mark is like, what are these ships going to do? And that I like, that I really like that, that kind of question mark, like almost reminds like district nine did this well of like, well, what are these aliens doing? And it's not until the last minute when it's too late to realize yeah, they're going to kill everybody. Kurt, I, w- uh, I wish I could have that. I wish I could have that response though, because I, I remember distinctly one of the the trailers to this and some of the promotional was the shot of that alien ship blowing up the White House. Like, so you knew that was coming. And I, I'm with you. I wish I had not known that. I, it would be great to watch this film and not know what in the heck was going to happen for the first 45 minutes of it. Because, but because I had seen that and they had teased that, I just kept waiting for that shoe to drop. Oh, everybody was in the theater. I mean, this movie was not marketed as a sci-fi movie. This was marketed as a destruction movie, and that's what they're going to start. That's what they're going to sell the movie on is all the money shots. And every trailer was, you know, showing the uh, Empire State Building blowing up, or you know, the White House blowing up. It was all that. And I mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, well, I'm, I mean, eventually when I show this to my son and stuff like that, I'm not going to tell him what it's about. Just to kind of see his reaction as to, like, why are these aliens here? I mean, I think if you kind of get the first half of this movie, the first, like, third of this movie is, I think, that good. Where I think if you're a first-time watcher and you don't know what's going on, you might be kind of questioning what's going What What's their motive for coming here? Right. But as you know, we get further in the movie, too. I mean, you got a... Uh, what I really like, too, is kind of like how Jeff Goldblum kind of figures this all out, because it makes sense that someone who's dealing with all the satellite stuff, and he's not even investigating why the aliens are here. He's investigating why the satellites are out, why they're not working. And it turns out he kind of stumbles into their code as to they're using the satellites to communicate with all the spaceships and whole whole line of sight stuff where yeah. they can't communicate with the other side of the world. So they use all the satellites or hacking into the satellites to communicate with them. Can I tell you what helps this film out tremendously or what, what helped it out at the time was the fact that as a society, we were barely beginning to become technologically literate. You know, where we were carrying around computers in our pockets and all that kind of stuff. That was years away. You know, the Internet had really just hit at this point. And so most people would buy the fact that just this guy could just figure all this crap out. You know, and have this laptop that you this the magical laptop that had that huge cell phone on it, by the way. God, I hate to see a cell phone <laughs> bill, you know, from from whatever it was wireless at the time. But you know, he was he was doing stuff that you could do now and you could totally buy now, but it was technology that really didn't exist back then, or at least didn't exist for the you know, on the common market. So this film in some ways is in 1996 was great because nobody had the access to that kind of knowledge, you know, you felt like, and so you needed an expert nowadays, like when you watch this with modern eyes. I'm sitting there looking, going like, gosh, if, if somebody just had an iPhone, we probably could have repelled the whole attack. <laughs> you know? I mean, it, it, is yeah. a, it is something that is dated by its tech very much. Yeah, def- it, it, it is a little bit, and it gets a little hokey, too, with, you know, any, if you know even the basic parts about computer, the end of the whole movie completely falls on its butt. But 
at the time, it was something they could completely exploit. I mean, you even watch a movie like something like Swordfish, where you got the hacking scenes. If you know any little bit about how hacking works or how people actually, you know, operate computers, it's like that is so freaking up its own ass with what it's showing you. But the movie works is you got to kind of you got to give it that is that this whole movie is going to work on the basis of you don't know how these computers work in this world. I mean, it is what it is. It's one of those things we have to accept, right? I mean, you know, Kurt, I mean, that's one of the things here, right? Is you have to swallow the fact that really this one guy could figure all of this out. Yeah, I, I, looking, it's kind of strange that somehow Jeff Goldblum figures it out right away while the Area 51 guys don't have a clue. Uh, but I, I, like I said, like when I saw this movie when I was eight, I mean, literally the, the concept of a computer virus is the first time I'd ever heard of it. So I swallowed all of it. And probably even back then, the less you know about computers, the easier it, it all is to just completely buy. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. And I, I still kind of half buy it now. I mean, I think if you made this movie today, the idea that some guy's computer virus could somehow at all affect this this race from another planet, I mean, oh. that wouldn't make any <laughs> sense how our technology is some, our computer viruses could affect their computers. Well, you have to remember, too, the computer. This came out in a time before Norton antivirus and, you know, McAfee <laughs> and stuff. No, no one was aware of this stuff. And apparently the aliens weren't either, but we'll get into that later. Well, you know, it, it, like I said, it was before the internet. It was before security like that existed in the common market. So, yes, it is a film that dates itself by that. But it, it is our end. And really, the whole point of that is literally, it introduces the ticking clock, you know, the countdown. Like, we're hmm. waiting for it to happen. And Goldblum has that whole thing, like he's got that countdown algorithm running on his computer, and it's like, checkmate. Like He figures out that they're just positioning yep. themselves, and they're all going to fire at the same time. And then the attacks happen. And i got to tell you, I mean, I've seen, uh, there's so many movies now where the Empire State Building gets blasted, or the White House. I've seen the White House blown up twice this summer in separate films. So, I mean, they do it all the time now. But back then, that w those were amazing shots. I think the best one is the Capitol Records Building, which is designed to look like a stack of 45 LPs or, e or EP records. And when that thing blows and, like, every level blows out one at a time as it's getting shot, like, yeah. I, that is a very effective scene with all that chaos. Like, I, I find the, the first city attacks to be probably the best effects of the whole film. Oh, it's great. I even oh, think oh, even yeah. it's, it's still a little nerve-wracking when you watch all this stuff because you can't help but feel bad for these people who, I mean, let's be honest, the government really let them down, like I was saying earlier. I mean, you got these 15-mile-wide spaceships that come into town, and they don't evacuate anybody. I mean, they have no idea what's going on with these things, what they're doing. They're, they're obviously not from this Earth. And their whole response is, just go on with your lives, you know, just, yeah, they're up there, just don't do anything stupid to it. And they don't even tell anybody to evacuate until the final seconds when they realize, like, oh, yeah, the reason why these things are hovering over the most important landmark in the whole city is they're going to destroy it. And especially when, like, the Empire State Building, I mean, they show, like, the, when the thing's opening up and everybody's just kind of staring at it, especially the people trying to get out of town, I feel bad for them. Because it's like, yeah, you guys are freaking toast right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, when the ships start firing, I mean, the mo that, that moment when the ships start firing is probably the best moment in the film when it's like it's like the turn in, in terminator 2 and you realize oh arnie's the good guy yeah and uh, this is like oh the aliens they're here to they're here to kill us they're not here to talk with us they're here to completely just wipe us out and also i think uh fairly 
science fiction, but fairly realistic in terms of if aliens invaded Earth with the intention of destroying us, that's how it would happen. And this movie really nails it in terms of they would wipe us out in one day. Uh, War of the Worlds kind of did the same thing where, like, you know, they defeated the world's greatest superpower in a couple of days. That's how it would work. We wouldn't stand a chance against something with, like, a, a you know, whatever that plasma cannon nuclear beam launcher is. Like, th- there is no hope. And I love how. I mean, how, it's taken right out know, of Star Wars. Let's not kid ourselves here. I mean, that is, that is it a is. Death Star opening up. But actually, I disagree. I think if aliens were going to take over the Earth, and I hope none are listening right now. that honestly they would almost kind of go like you know like this whole movie kind of set up kind of nice where it's like they're using our technology against us what they do is they just wipe out our technology also you take away our internet and our news channels and our cnn's and fox news we'd all be going into chaos right now so i think that's how that's how they would do if they would do independence day now that's how they would do it they would cut off all our communication and it would be mass riots yeah yeah can we we talk about that can we talk about that for a second that's another thing that is of its time because we do live in the communication age where one of the things our technology affords us is to be constantly linked in with each other i mean look we're podcasting tonight from alabama wisconsin and canada at the same time you couldn't have done that in 96 that would that would have been a hell of a phone bill you know so and podcast i got my sony walkman up to the receiver guys just talk really loud yeah we're gonna put out a series of cassette tapes for 9.99 you can get a copy of this episode (laughs) in the archive section of our website but but i mean really that it, it is funny to me that like these advanced aliens like the, and we know that they've been here before like scouting this out you know because we meet all those three dead ones later on in area 51 so they've seen it and their answer is well hell they got their own satellites we don't even need to deploy our own you know like i'm with you they should just run over our satellites as they're parking their ships around orbit around the earth you know i mean i guess part of it is they don't i mean they do an incredible amount of destruction but they're trying to kill the most people at once because they're here for the expressed consent of they can operate in our atmosphere and they just want to be here to suck up all of our natural resources and then leave the planet barren and move on to the next one. And that's a rip out of the old Transformers movie, if you've ever seen that, from 1986. So, I mean, it's it's right in that line of things. And I, I it's mean, a, the intergalactic oil company. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think they are, they are the big... Be- and we're moving on. <laughs> Well, you, you know, know what? what? It's actually just it's 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 your typical woman living in Hollywood, man. It's like a <laughs> digger, dude. Come in, move in, suck God. it dry, and I'm on to the next you, one. You just went from BP to Winona Ryder in like two steps. That was amazing, <laughs> sir. But, but but you're not wrong because I think that's exactly what they're setting up here, and it is something that just fits into the times and where we were in 96 and i think also we got to play into this and you can't you can't deny this and and kurt it'd be interesting to hear your point of view on this again being from canada 1996 was a period of incredible economic prosperity and peace in america the likes of which we haven't seen since and so (laughs) there was this great security among the populace so when you have movies that really attack that security that's another reason they go and make 817 million dollars and that kind of thing because they go against what's happening at the times you know i mean this was a different time in america than 2006 even not to mention 2013 one of the things that make this work is because it goes against what we know at the time and it's hard not to watch this and not put modern glasses on for it you know but if you Hmm. look at it in its context 
all of this is is really nerve wracking. And Nick, I think you can said it best. Like we've met a few of the people that we see get killed here in the first attacks. There's that one, you know, stripper girl, and then there's that woman that wants Elvis to come back, and then there's the yeah, you got you, you, got, know, you got the you got the gay brother from uh, Fire. <laughs> yeah, you got that you got, guy you got, in there. You got one of the students from Saved by the Bell college years. Right. You know, you've got you've got people that we have seen other places, and we've met them in the film, and then all of a sudden they're gone. Well, I just, I kind of want to get back to the point that you're making. I think. What I think you're trying to say there is that the movie at the time was showing us something that we haven't seen before. I mean, you show this, you show this movie now, we've seen the towers fall. Right. At that time, we've, the last battle that ever took place really here was Pearl Harbor, and before that was the Civil War. We really didn't know anything like that at the time. So seeing yeah. something like that was a complete novelty. It was almost like a roller coaster. The reason you, know, you go on roller coasters, you want to fear death. You go to this movie because you've never had experienced this stuff. You've seen it on the news channels around the world. What other people have dealt with. You've seen the Iraq. How you know how they were you know you know gas bombing Kuwait and stuff. You saw all that on CNN at the time, but we never really felt that or seen that in our own country. And that's what this movie really played on was the fact that we're going to show you destruction in your own country, stuff you've never seen before, landmarks you know. We're going to show that to you. And I really think that is exact. I mean, what, what this movie is based around. I really think that the idea of this movie came from let's blow up the White House, and right. then they wrote a movie around that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was the idea of let's destroy things that no American would ever believe could be touched. And now in the world we live in, we know that's not true. But in 1996, we bought every bit of it, and you know, it's it's just uh, the the years since that have taught us differently about it. But that's really how Act One ends is with the basically the wipeout of everything. Well, I'm going to say right now, this is the turn of the movie though for me, because up until okay. up until this point, I'm really enjoying this movie tremendously. I I, I turn when I turn <laughs> on the other day, I'm like, wow, this movie is really gets kind of like lambasted on the internet for really no reason. This is actually pretty good. And then there's <laughs> one thing that happens during these explosions that I'm just like, okay, is it the dog? Is that what you're going to? It's the freaking dog. Okay, it's the dog. You got all these explosions happening, people dying, but you know what? You can't show a dog get killed in a movie. You can't. And it's not even enough that maybe the dog kept up with them or maybe the dog ran into the door because it's smarter than the people or whatever. No, the dog's just standing there like a freaking fool, and then they call for it, and he goes, oh, yeah, I need to go by my people. And then it jumps at the last second when the flames come up and probably some of the worst, like, green screen I've seen since the Langoliers, okay? It's just, <laughs> it's, it's bad. And when, they, you know, they jump in and, you know, the light goes out and then also on July 3rd and it's like, okay, now I kind of get what people are getting at. You know, the jump, jump the shark, this is the jump the dog. <laughs> well, well, they ended on that button because of everything that had just happened. Think about it. New York City got waylaid. Los Angeles got you know, fried. Um, Washington D.C. got blown to bits. They ended on the two people we had spent the most time with: Vivica A. Fox and her son, who are hooked up with Will Smith, and they're running in the streets of L.A. to get to safety somewhere in a tunnel that I'm not sure exists in L.A. But they're running from all of this as it's going down, and they're the the people we want to see survive. But that light blows out, and we don't. You know, it's like the old chapter play. We don't know what happened to them. You know, and it's, hmm. it leaves us hanging. It's supposed to be this big emotional resonance note. Unfortunately, and I think you've hit on something, it has become the point where everybody starts to rage in this movie because you can't kill a boy and his dog in a, in a movie. 
I, you see, know, I don't, I don't care it. that they didn't kill the dog. And it's just the thing of the dog jumping at the last second. They didn't have to do that. The whole light going out, no breaking because of the pressure or whatever. That's fine. But the fact they got to show this freaking dog jumping, it's just like that. Just it didn't tone right with what was going on with the movie so far. But it really was what's going to be happening later in this movie, as far as just kind of like how corny it gets. And what, I really think, you know, if it would have ended with the light going out, or maybe even if they would have done, like, you know, you got uh, Air Force One, you know, flying in the air, and maybe the lights go out of Air Force One. They could have done it so many other ways, but just having the dog be the last part, really the last thing you see, just really kind of just like, as soon as July 3rd came up, it's like, oh, God, this movie's not even half over yet. <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing how I just completely turned on this movie, like, within five seconds. Well, like, the moment with the dog, I think that moment was for me. At the time, the yeah. the eight year old who you know likes animals and all, oh, look at the golden retriever, and he and he and he doesn't die, and it's bringing to mind a line in uh, Seven Psychopaths when uh, they're going over this story for a script, and the guy says, "Remember, you can't kill the animals, just the women." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, like the 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 dog lives. I think if you made that movie today, uh, the dog would probably die because everyone's used to just the worst stuff happening in movies like this. Uh, but whatever that moment, it's like it's it's a very. I don't think it like completely destroys the movie or it anything. It doesn't, but it's it's, it's laughable. It, it sets it up though for where it's going. Well, I, it it definitely is. Like the first you know forty five minutes or whatever is more or less very serious. Almost like it's very close in canon to the third kind. That level of reality and the technology and right. everything. But when the dog jumps uh, into the tunnel, it's like then it's entering George Lucas territory. Well, it's it's entering Roland Emmerich territory now. I mean, up yeah. and this this is when Roland Emmerich too, I think, really kind of took his turn as a director too. It's like just doing with the the corny stuff. So let's get into July third. We open up right away and we kind of see a little bit of the destruction, right? And then we get to where we should go: the military's response. What are they going to do now? And of and course, their answer is we're gonna we're gonna go launch strike fighters and as Will Smith puts it get up there and kick ET's ass yep. you know which is you know everybody cheered at in the theater and it you still get to laugh to this day I won't lie I actually chuckled at that again and I knew it was coming because I've seen this a hundred times but I was like <laughs> you know th- that's the thing like Harry Connick Jr. is a terrible actor every time he's on anything ever but he kind of <laughs> knows he is and so he just hams it up and his whole little bit there with with uh, uh will smith like hold me you know and all that stuff like i i dug every bit of that it was hilarious you know and that's and you know this is movie and it's funny you know roland emmerich is not american but he is, makes the most raw raw american movies of anybody oh yeah and this i mean this is very much the yeah we're gonna go kick their ass you know americana rock and roll movie i mean that's what this is supposed to be this is when we're gonna launch top gun at the aliens and they're gonna get theirs <laughs> Don't you love, though, that how the military briefing ends when Will Smith cracks the joke? I mean, the captain's like in the middle of how to do it. And he's like, you want to add something to this? No, I just want to kick E.T.'s ass. Well, hell yeah, let's go do it. And that's how it ends. <laughs> you know? It's like a football game more than it is a military. I don't know if any, if either of you guys have you know relatives in the military. Military strategy meetings are about as interesting as C-SPAN. I mean, they are they are incredibly tedious and process oriented. They are not rah rah go kick ass. That's not how those guys work. No, I mean you're, they're 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 basically going on the most important airstrike in probably the history of the world at this point. I mean, this is more important than anything <laughs> in World War II or anything. 
And the dude's like, Cri-. I would say so because the the Japanese were not from another yeah, I mean, planet. Yeah, <laughs> these alien races probably killed like you know probably like half a billion people at this point, and yeah, they're making jokes during there, and I'm like, there's no way, you know, I got Harry Connick Jr. like hugging Will Smith and like putting his head on there. I think at that point, probably the guy in charge would be like, all right, you guys are not doing this. You guys are out. We're bringing the next crew. You know, you guys, you guys are, you guys are going to see this one off, you know? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, they hadn't got to the point where the military was so decimated they would let drunks fly their planes yet, but they clearly had lost forces. Like, they mentioned that they've lost a lot of forces. But how could they have lost forces, though? I don't really, I mean, okay, there's stuff that's going on in the city. They probably had a lot of ground troops in there and stuff like that. But as far as air support troops, I don't think they would have really lost that many, would they have? Well, they drop a well, line. I think it's, that, I think it's a plot like a lot of the, that they drop the line. They do. They drop the line, though, but they drop a line that the, the and, and indeed the major cities, there were also strategic military targets taken out at that point. And it is just kind of a fly by me. There's dialogue flying all over the place because we're not supposed to think about it. What we're supposed to do is go rah, rah, go kick E.T.'s ass. I mean, that's what we're supposed to react to. But when we're sitting here trying to pick this apart, we go, wait a minute. The military would be, I mean, the one thing they get right is that the military would be incredibly slow to respond. <laughs> you know, because they're not just going to, you know, huh. scramble jets and start shooting shit out of the sky. You know, they, they are going to plan this stuff uh, very carefully because uh, you've hit it, Nick. It's the most important airstrike of their lives. But I, I'm still with the movie at this point. <laughs> but I'm still with the movie at this point because I think what they what they've done is they've given us this really emotionally draining and kind of wrecking moment where that we've killed all you know half a billion people and all this stuff, and now we're going to go watch the military respond. And it's, I mean, it, oh, their response is completely muted because they have no chance. And that's the thing to me is that it's amazing here is that the hubris of the military to go, well, hell, we're just going to put some F-18s up there and take out these alien I mean, could, could it, ships that have wiped out cities. I mean, couldn't they know? have played us a little bit better with Will Smith? I mean, he's got his, is that his son or no? Or is that, that okay, is not well, he his got son. his girlfriend and his, you know, future, you know, stepchild. And they really don't play up at all that he doesn't know where they are. That he knows that they were in the city that got destroyed. Oh, oh, but they do. Because when they're flying the damn mission, he says over the radio to Harry Connick Jr., I never should have left her, man. It's like, hey, brother, you may want to concentrate on that huge thing you're about to shoot at. But, 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 <laughs> but you think that would have been a better thing, though, if that he's in that meeting beforehand and the guy's distraught. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know what it is. But I need, I need to get my mind on the mission, though. Nick, if this movie was, was serious at all, yes, I agree with you. If this movie was serious about itself at all, they would have had him on the ground upset about this. And then when he got in the air, he was all pissed off and stuff like that. But no, it's, again, and no offense, Kurt, it's playing to the eight-year-old in the audience, not the teenager yeah. or the older ones. It's like, no, he needs to mention his family while he's in the air because that's what those guys do. <laughs> you know, he's, he's talking yeah. about like he's not the most focused person on earth. Like that, uh, it, I don't know. It, it makes more sense if he would have played it where he was distraught on the ground, but because of this movie's logic, he has to do that in the air. I mean, Kurt, do you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think this movie, I mean, it'd be pretty depressing if all of a sudden, there, yeah, just just realistically, the there'd be a, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, They're I mean, there'd be, a, if, really, there'd be a scene of, just, just get that in mind, <laughs> oh, yeah, the fat lady singing, that's like the big joke of the movie about big fat ladies singing, right, the, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, that's, I ain't heard no fat lady right now, and a guy doing like a, like a mock sermon in the air, 
they're not they're not worried about this big giant 15 mile wide spaceship that has the firepower to destroy a city and they're going right at it they're just with with missiles designed to barely be able to destroy the planes they shoot them at. I, I mean, Sidewinder missiles are effective, guys. They're not meant to shoot yeah, at things that are 15 miles like, okay, wide. We either have nukes or aircraft. We have nothing in between, guys. There's no, like, you know, ground-to-air missiles. There's no, like, you know, I can't even think of, like, the, the, the terms for it. I mean... Where's our cruise yeah. missiles? Where's our tomahawks? Yeah, I'm with you. Where's our? Where are the scuds we ripped off of the Iraqis in the Gulf War that the president fought in? <laughs> I mean, we have none of that stuff. Where are the Canadians with their slingshots? I mean, come on, we gotta have something. <laughs> the Canadians march, but no, <laughs> get them, guy. <laughs> we can't reach them. Well, swinging. yeah, the Terrence and Philip Brigade are coming up next, but that's after the sermon by Harry Connick. <laughs> but uh, but no, they go into the big dog fight, and it all goes to hell, right? Like they, you know, and. I'm looking at this, and you said it before. It feels like something out of Top Gun, and I'll give you another one. It feels like something out of Iron Eagle 2, if you've ever seen that <laughs> dreadful sequel of a film, and some of the, the a- attacks there. Because it's, it's always this uh, mysterious ship that we don't know anything about that can outfly, outmaneuver, outshoot everybody, except Will Smith. And that's amazing to me. The pinpoint accuracy that some of the alien pilots have, and then the one that happens to chase Will Smith can't hit the damn broadside of a barn well that happened to be the canadian pilot of the yeah. aliens i guess i don't know <laughs> it, it, it is a ridiculous dog fight i mean they're, they're shooting at it and okay they realize there's a freaking force field around this thing of course so what do they do right. and the little ones again. have force field let's not just be like all right guys this ain't working let's just get the hell out of here i mean again this thing just took out an effing city I don't even think. I think at this point they're like, let's let's get the nukes ready, guys. I mean, this 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 is we yeah. Let's not risk any more, you know. And what's funny here is this is the most active the president has been at this point. He's like, pull them back now. I mean, the ex fighter pilot who is doing what you're saying, Nick. He's like, get out of here. This is the part that always gets me in the movie is that he is on Air Force One. Did they land and now he's like in a control room, or is that aboard Air Force? Yes. No, he. They have They're landed in the at a control room. Yeah, it's a control room in Air Force One. No, no, no. They, oh, yeah. Air Force One has like a full on. You could like you could run the country from Air Force One. They got a hospital in there. I mean, surgery. I mean, an operating room. They got a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. That that is happening at Air Force One. But they the, when they land, they landed area. No, but I'm just saying though. That's it the, goes, the like, joke. Being on the airplane to him, like being in this like contr- in this room, like watching it as it happens back to his airplane. So I'm assuming it's all happening in the airplane, right? Yeah, yeah. That's how I took it, at least. I don't think anything... Oh, Air Force One was designed to uh, wage a w- for the president to wage war from the plane, because right. in case the White House was destroyed and so on. It's not until the attack is over, and they tell them that NORAD is taken out, the North American Defense, you know, all that, all that's taken out, yeah. that they go to Area 51, because they have that whole bit on the airplane... About uh, Levinson's dad, Judd Hirsch is like, no, 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 you, you have the aliens, and you know, Bill Pullman's like, sir, you don't believe the supermarket tabloids, and then there's that one jerk off in a suit that's like, it's not entirely accurate, Mr. President. <laughs> you know, well, thank I mean, God that dad said something at that time, made a joke about it, otherwise they would have never went to Area 51, right? I, you know, so many things happen because that dad is a persistent jerk. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like the last two thirds of this movie are mostly because of things he does or says that any of it occurs. They go to Area 51, the computer virus, all of that stuff happens. And and Jeff Goldblum gets back together with his somewhat hot wife. You know, it's all because of stuff he <laughs> says. But but backing up, the, let's let's go to the end of the attack here first. Everything goes to hell. Harry Connick Jr. gets blasted out of the sky. I'm watching this. I. I am watching this, and I feel like I'm watching the trench run of the first Star Wars movie. You guys feel that, too, when they're getting picked off left and oh, right? Not as good yeah. sound effects, not as good as sound effects. Yeah, is- oh, my God, those alien spaceships sound like crap. Yeah, the, the, but that entire dogfight sequence is 100% the Death Star fight in uh, in the 77 Star Wars movie. And uh, that is that CG is, I think the weakest in the film there's certain shots when they're in when it's just wide shot of the planes and the alien ships where it's like that looks like you know ps2 graphics like your your average xbox game today has way better graphics than independence day oh i I agree look i i actually played the playstation game of this oh you talk about a frustrating piece of crap by the way but didn't look anything (laughs) like the movie it was Horrid. And I remember playing some kind of space flying game on a PS2 years later going, ah, it only took him about eight years to catch up to that. Yeah, yeah it, it does look it does look bad. Oh, yeah. The, actually, the game Star Fox 64 has one level that's 100 percent. You can tell they base the entire thing off the end dogfight scene in uh, Independence I- Day. And that scene is actually that level is actually like very good and like if they if the independence day game guys knew about star fox 64 no, but does it end though with star fox shooting a uh, parachute at the spaceship and making them crash into a mountain <laughs> it does not that, that felt like straight out of something like top gun you know just total cheese like some crap like that could work, you know, I hope you got an airbag, you know, crash him into the side of the canyon, which by the way, I've never parachuted, but I'm related to people that jump out of perfectly good airplanes for no reasons. And they always laugh at this scene, the way Will Smith lands in his parachute. They're like, he just broke his entire pelvis. <laughs> he lands like that from a real height that he ejected from. That is not how you land in a parachute if you want to survive. So, but it's it's all ridiculous. And have you guys ever seen The Last Starfighter? No. I have not. Oh, Kurt, someday you got to do it. The big like shootout battle scene in that looks 10 times better than this, and that movie's 10 years older than this one. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, they spent all the money on that, but it, it this one does look bad. This big fight looks terrible, but only to be punctuated by the fact that Will Smith talks trash, walks up, and knocks out the alien in his biomechanical suit. It's a hell of a punch, yeah. dude. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I mean, he needed to be hanging out with Sigourney Weaver or with Nomi Rapace on Prometheus. I mean, <laughs> oh, he, needed the, right. I mean, he wouldn't even be a freaking Marine pilot, okay? He'd be like a freaking prize fighter if you got a hook like that. <laughs> but yeah, I actually, I love that moment. Like, that moment is, that's when Will Smith became Will Smith. Will Smith is the guy who is the first person to ever encounter an alien face-to-face, and what does he do? He punches it square in the face. Welcome to Earth. Uh, and I actually, I I love the the when he takes out the cigar and says, nah, that's what I call a close encounter. Like, I love that stuff. I actually, like, that's the Will Smith-ism, but I, I love well, that Well, you know what? It movie. is the best of Will Smith in the second act. It is when he is just riffing and dragging him across the desert. Like, I'm supposed to be at a barbecue. Now I'm dragging your heavy scene. ass across the desert, but I ain't mad. That's all right. You know, and he's just talking all that shit, and I was like, man, but what that is, is that what smell? I like Will Smith to do. <laughs> yeah, what is that yeah, smell? Well, yeah. I love that. And when they roll up on air 
Area 51 and the guy is giving him crap about your security clearance. He's like, all right, I'm just going to leave this here with you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, of course, the entire military structure is broken down at that yeah, point. Yeah, they're like, yep, he's got his clearance yeah. right there, guys. He's got an alien. But I even got to bring up, though, I mean, this is at the point where a little bit before this, you got uh, uh, Cousin Eddie, him and his, you know, ragtag group of kids. So you got the uh, Keanu Reeves <laughs> lookalike guy. The guy kind of looks like <laughs> Miguel. Uh, the guy kind of looks like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and then you got the plain Jane girl. They're all driving in the desert and stuff like that. Will Smith is walking the opposite way. <laughs> he's walking towards them. I never thought of that. That's a good point. Him. And then he's like, "Yeah, we're going to go back that way. Why weren't you walking that way to begin with?" And I don't think that he knew about <laughs> Area Fifty One because if you catch it real quick, what he says is, "I saw an airbase back there." I think so. He's meaning yeah, yeah. that he oh, saw okay. it like he was flying. He saw it in the plane. Yeah, yeah. he saw a yeah, base. He, he didn't know it was Area Fifty One, but whatever he saw. Uh, you know, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I've always and I'm just have missed that line all these years. I've always took it as as a you know high level pilot who was we should mention had applied to be like a space shuttle pilot back when the space shuttle existed, yeah. kids, and kept getting rejected because he had a stripper girlfriend. That was that's the no, reason they, 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 they rejected him. Dolphin ring or an engagement ring. No, no, no. Oh, God. yeah, because no <laughs> yeah. he has poor taste in jewelry too. Apparently, but I mean that, that you know that's his motto that he would know. I always took it that he knew something the president didn't know. That was another sign that the president was just a, just a weak schlub. You know. Know, but if he, if you guys say he dropped that line, then I've always missed that. That's interesting to know because I've always took it that he knew it yeah, was you know, there. Yeah, he said he goes, "I saw it. I saw a space. I saw I saw a base over the back there." But again, it goes point. Why are you walking away from the base? Well, let, let me ask you a question about that though. If that's true, it, and that's fine, isn't the point of Area Fifty One that it's hidden? Couldn't you not see it from the air? Well, <laughs> well this is before Google. Earth. I think the idea is that I think the idea is that Area Fifty One is. Uh, Everything that, you know, is Area 51, that's the part that you wouldn't be able to see from, you know, just an airplane height. Like, any army base could be Area 51 and just happens to be this one's in uh, it's uh, in Nevada, right? Yeah, yeah. Or New yeah, Mexico, this, New Mexico, yeah. rather, yeah. Oh, right, right. Well, okay, that's that's an interesting point. I, but you're right. He finally happens across Randy Quaid in the one scene they get together. And, he, you know, they go to the base and they get into Area 51. And before this, the president has now learned and has landed at Area 51, and he's met data from uh, Star Trek The Next I Generation. Knew, I knew Brent that Spiner. Was, I even asked him the other day, I'm like, is that data from Star Trek The Next Generation? <laughs> and my wife looks at me and goes, how the hell would I even know that? <laughs> but no, that's him. And I remember that at the time. Now, I was not a big Next Generation fan. Okay, let's just say it right now. But I knew who that guy was, and I knew that face, and I knew that voice. One of the things is his voice. It's just something about the timbre of his voice. And I just remember that and going, oh, so this is what you do when you're not in that green cake makeup. Well, we also hmm. we also get the connecting tissue between this and Predator 2 with Adam Baldwin. Oh, you know what? Gosh, I'd never thought about that, but you're right. I only I know Adam Baldwin from his turn on the last season of Angel, so I didn't even know he was in Predator Two. Hey, we'll have to get to that one, Nick, someday. But oh, yeah. yeah, but no, they arrive at Area Fifty One, and I love how the president reacts to all this. And I think Judd Hirsch gets the line of the film with the you know how do you pay for all this? Fifteen thousand dollars for a hammer, thirty thousand dollars for a toilet seat. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I do remember yeah. though, at that time there was a report that came out that the government was spending like thirty thousand dollars on a toilet seat. Right. It was all that the idea of we're going to make our books transparent, and then they realized that well we have to really cover some of this crap up, <laughs> you know. So because that was when we were selling guns to Saddam. But you know we don't talk about those days anymore. But I mean, really, I mean, that that's what was going on. But that's the whole bit. But you know what? Again, you have to go back to what America was in the nineties. All right. We, we were all really secure and safe and happy and stuff, but we also didn't trust our government at all. We knew they were lying to us. And the fact that they would lie to themselves, in other words, the president would have been kept in the dark about some of this, is supposed to play for humor, right? And I, I actually think this is Bill Pullman's act of the film. This is when he has to really carry the thing, because yeah. the way Will Smith has to do things and the way Goldblum is going, I think this is Bill Pullman's Exciting part of Exciting is not the way Kurt, I put agree? people are dying, Jay. <laughs> Probably one of the worst acting scenes in the movie, and that's saying a lot when he gets mad at uh, Mr. Uh, Spinner there. Yeah. Well, I didn't say it worked, but I think it's what he's doing. Kurt, you seem to, I think I heard you agree with me there. Yeah, I just want to say, uh, I like, this is the first time I'd ever seen Brent Spiner in anything. I wasn't familiar with uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, I love him in this film. I think, um, might be mistaken, I think he might have won the Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor for being in this movie. He is a, a great nerd character i love his look with that long spindly uh, uh white hair which i think uh robert richardson now has you look him up uh he's uh he's fantastic i love that he is the nerd he's like the he's probably how like film buffs and and geeks would react when they find out aliens have come it's like holy shit it's real it's final it's really happening this is so cool and bill pullman says you know it's not how i would describe it you know i don't know what what he is so happy about uh but yeah, uh, the whole Area 51 sequence, uh, I really like, especially when we get to, uh, you're probably coming to it now, when the uh, the operating scene. But yeah, I love the Area 51 stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's what where we get to is that they, Will Smith rolls up and they're like, we got a live one. And of course, the doctor freaks out. It's like, okay, great. We get to operate on a live one because we've seen the three dead ones. And he lays a little bit of information yeah. out there. He's like, well, you know, they can really react. They live really in the same kind of environment we do, but they don't talk. But they have eyes and they have noses and they seem to use some kind of telepathy. And they wear these mechanical suits over themselves and all this. I mean, he lays a lot of exposition out there to the president because the president's in the dark just like the audience. So he's informing us as he's informing the president. And then Will Smith rolls up with the one he punched out. And they get ready to operate on it. And, you know, it's pretty gory. I mean, that's, you know, it's, uh, here's the real icky part. And it's with the good yeah. sound effects. I mean, it's cool. But then an alien wakes up and, of course, starts to take yeah. control of him. And I want to tell you, that scene is lifted straight out of John Carpenter's The Thing. That is exactly oh, yeah. what that is. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, I'm mean, assuming you're talking about the scene, right? Where, the, you know, the guy's like doing the operating on the guy when his yes. stomach opens up and bites his hands off. It's it's a good scene. Yeah. I like it. I like that, you know, it's the thing it's it I think even like someone who even copied this movie was Sam Raimi with the Doc Ock scene in uh mm-hmm. Spider Man oh, two. Yeah. I mean it's almost exactly the same. Where this thing wakes up and just is taking everybody out and of course, you know, the room fills up with gas and everything and then they have the reveal that, you know, this is gonna be our main exposition of the entire film where you find out what the aliens intent are, you know, if you haven't figured that out already. And Right. I, I, I like the and dialogue like- between the president and, you know, Mr. Can't Fly Spaceship. Man, these things really can't fly spaceships that well. I mean, we got the Area 51 thing. I mean, it crashes for reasons unknown, and this guy crashes into a side of a mountain. 
<laughs> well, you know, I like the, the fact, though, that it kills everybody in the room and then it grabs Brent Spiner and throws him up against the glass and manipulates his vocal cords with, like, some tentacles to make him talk. Yeah. Like, I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, that's a very alien thing to do, you know, because if you had it in telepathy and the president is having a mind conversation with the alien, that would have been really weird and boring. You know, this way yeah. there's tension there, and it, or at least they're supposed to be. And I, I like it. I think for the most part it, it works. And I... What is great is when somebody says, is that glass bulletproof? And Adam Baldwin's like, no, sir. And he just starts blasting yeah. the hell out well, of The thing that even before, though, is when they put like a Spiner's face up against the window and it's uh, the one guy's like, quick, let him out. And they're like, no. It's like, really? Your first reaction is to let him out? It's like, you know, the aliens running around in there. Open it up. Let him out. I just thought it's it just I laugh at that. I laughed at that when I went on. I'm like, nah, you're not going to let him out. I guess, you know, even in today's movies, what they probably would have done is they probably would not even had a scene like that. They probably would have had the alien, like, kind of mind meld with the president and then bring him into his mind and kind of show him everything firsthand. You know, they probably actually would have showed, like, yeah. the alien home world and what they were doing and how they were moving on from, like, planet to planet. Ooh, you know, how, can I tell you how lame that sounds? I mean, it could work, but in you know a movie what? like this, it probably wouldn't. Yet, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I'm not saying your idea is lame. I, I'm saying that idea is not one I would have wanted to see. I actually like it that we don't get to see it. You know, this movie shows you every other damn thing. I like the fact that it doesn't show that, you know, that there is, it is left to just exposition. Yeah. Uh, but th that whole scene where the Spiner is being controlled by the alien, I think that scene is like, really, really good. Like up there with the stuff in the first act. I love, I just love the idea that, you know, talking to him like the Paul Pullman saying well what do you want us to do and he just says die and it's like I, I find that I mean maybe it's corny whatever I think that's actually fairly chilling for like a science fiction film like yeah. good and dark and also while we're on the final act I was just realizing this uh, the movie this movie has influenced a lot of other films a afterward I mean there's a little bit of this of Independence Day in the Avengers but I noticed it big time when I watched Pacific Rim a few weeks ago, the entire final act of Pacific Rim is a complete ripoff of Independence Day in every way, right? In including getting into the alien's mind to see their home world and to find out what their intentions are. It's the, it's, it's, it's like shot for shot almost the same stuff. Yeah, but at, at uh, that point though, I, mean, I think this movie does it better. The final, final resolution is use a nuke. I mean, you got that. I think it was like even yeah. the movie, like the core. It was like the Earth core stopped working. Just use a nuke; it'll get it working. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to use them in sequential yeah. order. That's the. But point. I, I, I can, yeah. I can, I can kind of talk a little bit more about that scene. I mean, even the guy, those those alien exosuits are worthless. I mean, they're shooting like nine millimeters at this guy, and the alien goes flying back. I mean, it, 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 gets, <laughs> it gets launched back pretty good. But, but but I, I, I did, did like I did feel like I was in at the end where he's like kind of moving he goes right up to him and just yeah. shoots him right in the head. I I did yeah. feel like I was watching a Schwarzenegger movie there. You know, for a minute the way right. everybody was blowing backward as they were shot. It was very commando like Predator, where it's like I just, <laughs> oh, yeah. Adam Baldwin sh you know pull out like the freaking Gatling gun and just start yelling going ah and just spraying bullets into there. Well, I mean, he does. It's almost like a Will Money shot, though, from Unforgiven there at the end. The alien's like, I'll see yeah. you in hell. Yeah. 
you know, and he blasts him yeah. right in the skull, and or whatever he if he has a skull, I don't know, with the head. Yeah, but, yeah. whatever. Patrick it's, Swayze but you know, Ryan Ingalls in Roadhouse, and then shoots him in the head, and then. Runs <laughs> <him>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. the poignant end of it is that Will Smith steals a helicopter, goes to rescue Vivica Fox, because somehow or another he knows right where she's going to be, and she has run up against the first lady whose uh, helicopter crashed, and she's got internal injuries, and it ends on another poignant moment. The first lady dies because they can't do anything for her at the Area 51 hospital. And I mean... I, you know, it's with the the president and his little daughter, and she's like, "Did mommy go to sleep?" And he's like, "Yeah, mommy's sleeping." And it ends on that real down note. And I was like, "Man, hmm. like these guys play to the Sesame Street real hard to end the act, <laughs> don't they?" We won't kill the dog, but we'll kill the little girl's mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Corny as it is, I mean, I mean, like I said, the eight year old in me, I found that very devastating, and even as like. Just as the film, like, God, that's pretty harsh to the Bill Pullman characters. We're going to, you know, the world is over. You're the leader. And we're going to, at the last minute, we're going to kill your wife, too, on top of everything. Like, God, I'm this guy say, goes through like, a lot. Well, yeah. I like the, wife, the wife and his banter, though. I do kind of like just the way that they kind of talk to each other. Because she's always call, kind of calling him a liar throughout the beginning of the movie, kind of like in a playful way. And then she, yeah. that's her last one of the thing that she says to him as she's dying when he tells her she's going to be all right and stuff. I thought that was kind of well played and it kind of reinvests you a little bit because at this point i mean we're what 45 yep. minutes away from the everything getting blown up so i think in a way they're kind of just trying to get you more pissed off at the aliens at this point well and it's right after another huge failure they decide to you know launch a nuke at the alien ship so there's one over here yeah, he, he's mad and they drop right this now. whole bit about yeah, I mean, everybody's, uh, a, you know, left the city that's still alive some way or another, so we can go ahead and fire this thing off, and so they do, and, the you know, there's the uh, Secretary of Defense guy or whatever, he's like, oh, hell yeah, rah, rah, yeah. you know, I, I love that guy, he's so hilarious, James Reborn cracks me up in that role, because he's yeah. so over the top, and then, of course, it has done absolutely nothing except the alien yeah. ship is backing out of the city, like, well, hey, we didn't have to fire the damn gun, thanks a lot, guys, <laughs> you know, it's like they yeah. nuked Houston for the aliens and what a, and then to top it off his wife dies i mean that's a really shitty day like okay we kind of get that gold bloom's kind of the hippie and he's pissed off that they're going to use a nuke on him what did he expect them to do at this point well i don't know i i always maybe think maybe gold bloom knew a nuke's not going to do anything and who and basically the nuke Whoever was left in Houston is now dead. I think but that's why Goldman might, anyway. might have been. At least that's anyway. why I would have coming in there. And that's the part I don't get about the aliens' plan is that spaceship's really not, like, fast-moving. You know, it's not like it's going, like, at the speed of light. I mean, it's going pretty damn slow from city to city. No. I mean, I always kind of picture, like, if they would have done, like, sequels to this, it would have been, and those spaceships are still around. Like, people would have been, like, going from one city, shows up, and they keep on, like, it's almost like a computer game where it's, like, almost like a... Uh, God, what's that game like Frogger or something like that? Where it's like boop, 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 just like the falling around. Like we can't get these last humans that keep on moving too fast. But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but yeah. I mean that that is at this point ahead. though with the nuke. I mean, they basically have now turned these aliens into Superman. I mean, I think they've ridden themselves into a hole at this point because it's like you have now created the unstoppable menace here. How do you? get yourself out of this. I mean, it's almost like Lost where everybody kind of talks about how like they kind of wrote themselves into a hole. I think this movie wrote itself into a hole at this point <laughs> when the nuke didn't work. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I, I, I do like that. The idea that the president doesn't want to use a nuke. Last resort, fine, let's nuke the bastards. And it still doesn't work. Like, I actually think if you want to set up uh, an antagonist and set up a formidable foe, that's how you do it. And, like, uh, I guess we'll get into, well, how they the final solution is. But I like that. that the nuke, you know, the most powerful force mankind has ever created, does nothing to these alien force fields. Like, I, I thought, like, that was a good, that was a, a somewhat frightening way. It's like, well... Then we're really screwed. It, like we might as well, well just, just kill ourselves. Now. Well, I mean, after even after that, after the whole nuke thing, he's like, you can tell he's having a nervous breakdown. I don't think it's necessarily because the nuke didn't work, but I think he's just like, we ain't gonna be able to beat these things. We're done. Well, I mean, it is a way of raising the stakes. The end of every act has raised the stakes and then gone with a poignant moment. The stake at the end of the first act was that these things can wipe out cities in a single shot, basically. And then the dog and the boy and the girl and the you know, get away. And then the end of the second act, we're going to fire our most powerful weapon ever at these things, and it does absolutely nothing to them. doesn't even no. dent the thing. And the president's wife dies. And we're all held up in Area 41, and there's not many people left, and there's not a lot of cities left anymore, and what are we going to do on the 4th of July? You know, Again, what's going to be our plan? Why is there not a lot of military left? Well, they, okay. They, 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 they took they, down one squad. They dropped two lines. It's two lines. It's two lines of dialogue. I can't believe I missed the Will Smith line, but I got these. It, it, they say that we moved all the forces out of major cities, and we've gathered them at NORAD, and then they take out NORAD. The aliens do. And and that would make sense. Like, from a strategic uh, battle point, if the aliens had done their research, they would know we got to hit the NORAD, because that's where we control all of, our, all of our nukes from, and it's where Matthew Broderick screw them with the computers in war games. And so we got to hmm. take Dabney Coleman and that crew out. And they do, and that they're down to like, I think they said like 10 to 15% of the military is left, and it's pretty much all at Area 51 at that point. Like, they, they drop lines about how the military gets taken out, because and here's the other thing, where the hell else would they go? I mean, nothing they've got is going to work either. So I bought the fact that they were getting wiped off the planet just like every major city was. I, I think I, I would have liked it more maybe if they would have just said, we're not going to even bother doing an air assault on it because we're not going to do anything. We're going to wait till the eventual ground assault. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe it comes down to budget. Like, if you made this movie today, yeah. you probably would see a scene of literally every single tank, aircraft carrier, plane, uh, the exact same scene. Like, they don't do anything, but they're all there ready to fight, and they all get wiped out at once. Like, kind of well, the same thing. Because there's only, like, what, 30 planes in that first dog? That's what I'm going at. Yeah, it's, it's one squadron. Thing, it was like, yeah. That's all I saw was, like, 30 air. You know, I'm like... This isn't, this, this isn't well, let me Canada. Ask you, we have more than 30 jets. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you guys this, though. Are you okay with the fact that the only three cities we really see get destroyed are in the first act? We just hear it mentioned from then on. And I know for budget reasons they couldn't keep redoing that or whatever. Yeah. But are you okay with that as a storytelling device? That they're like, we've already shown you that. You know what it looks like. We're now we're just going to tell you when Chicago, Philadelphia, and Atlanta get destroyed. And on a camera from a tank, you're going to see Houston get wiped out. Which I is think it's you fine. Know, really I think not, it's absolutely not fine. It would get kind of redundant if you keep on showing all these cities kind of getting blown up in the same way. We saw it happen. We know how it happens. I think at this point, all they have to do is tell us is that it is happening still. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I always just watching the movie. I assume like watching it now, like I assume Beijing's gone. Tokyo's gone. London's gone. Johannes, you know, South Africa, Australia, everything. Toronto. Calgary. They leave Toronto alone, maybe. But but no, I assume, yeah, they they 
as far as the aliens concerned, they probably think they succeeded in wiping out the world. Like you say, half a billion. I assume way more than that uh, are well, I'll dead. Say that, I'll I'm say assuming that the it's five billion. There's like half a billion dead. Yeah, yeah. yo, I'm I'm with you. I'm thinking like they say, fifteen percent of the military's left. I'm like, hell, fifteen percent of humanity is probably left at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is Judgment Day and Terminator Three or Terminator Salvation, rather. I mean, this is there's not many no, of like us a left Stephen King at this point. Like a stand. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Except there's no Randall Flag and there's no Corin Nimick and there's no really bad dust in the wind. Well, but uh, you know what? Even so. kind of bring up that though. I mean, you're talking about a big bad. Are you guys kind of mad though? This movie doesn't have like an identifiable leader for like the aliens. How there's not like. You know, like in Star Wars, you got Darth Vader. In all these movies, you always kind of got like you yeah. got the bad forces, but you also have the central bad guy. Here, it's yeah, like you really I, don't well, have we get that. The... It's like we've seen what they look like, and we know they're like kind of a military force, but we don't see what their main leader looks like. Well, we get the guy in the mothership who's you know Dude, that guy was uh, working some kind of console. Okay, he wasn't the guy. He yeah. was like sitting there like. <laughs> Talking like, oh, you got another guy. How's it going, guys? Yeah, and you know what? He's just as shitty at it as the people that work at Walmart in America in customer service. So, yeah, no, I, I, you know what, Kurt I, or uh, Nick? I think you're right. But on the other hand, I don't know how they would have even shown that to us. You know, how how are we supposed to try to relate to yet another character, even a bad guy at this point? I, I'm almost, well, I'm just going to say I'm okay with the fact that they don't give us more than just what we've we've had in those couple of expositions well, about the thing the is aliens, like they, they call that off, they do remain the great unknown the aliens look like for so long and there's really no reason why they had to i mean it wasn't like this is like something like oh my god these aliens look just like us i mean that's the twist or something no, no you want you want to know why they did that because the coolest the coolest aliens that have ever been on movies had already occurred in other movies they're not going to top that so hmm. why why you know do anything else with it we're going to show you the kind of amalgam representation of aliens from you know what would become the X Files and stuff like uh, War of the Worlds and Close Encounters and all that stuff. All the little green men and the the odd shaped heads and the grays and all that stuff. That that's what these things look like. Uh, and I don't, I don't mind the fact that we don't have like a supreme leader. Uh, I I mean this is just top of my head, but I like the idea. Maybe all the aliens have like a hive mind. They're literally all kind of thinking the same thing. Uh, and if they don't have a a leader, I like the idea that they're literally you know insects or a hive i think that makes them a little scarier like they're like they're more like animals than actual right people like they're monsters like you don't know what they're gonna do like they don't have a leader like you don't know what they're gonna do with the planet like drain resources for what like they don't really explain too much what these aliens are they just kind of say well they go from planet to planet taking well, like resources locusts. i mean they're just going whatever that means just destroying everything that's what yeah that that's what they say they're like locusts and i i like that kurt i'm with you this is like it's better that they're not personified well, well, here's the thing though, that they are and, just yeah. instinctual animals they're, they're showing the technology that's their main identification point is their technology about how advanced it is right why not then show the mothership more i mean we don't even get a real good glimpse of this mothership and this is supposed to be the end I, all I, thing right here. Like, this is the thing you got to take out. This is like the big mama ant. You know, this is the big mama. This is the queen alien of it all. Can I Can I tell you? I think it's because of money. I think at $75 million, they were getting every bit they could have out of that budget to be able to show this stuff. And I, Dean Devlin even says that, that by the, the third act, they were having to cut corners everywhere they could to, just to get this thing <laughs> so, so finished. It's a lot like they, they had... <laughs> 
Well, they <laughs> they didn't have time to show us anything else. You know, I mean, it, well, okay. Think about this: like in Return of the Jedi, you get a whole lot more of the Death Star than you do in you know A New Hope, right? Why? Because yeah. they had two oh, yeah. films worth of money to build on to it. But at the end of A New Hope, you you know what it looks like from the outside. You know, two office rooms, the power station, and that one yeah, you trench. Know, you know what That's it looked like in Star get. Wars. In fact, we spent 45 minutes inside of it in Star Wars. Right, but inside of closed spaces well, we is what I'm saying. You're in the trash compactor. What thing was. They don't even show us a picture of it. Well, you know what it looks like on the inside? It looks like a beehive. There's one outside shot of it right before they nuke it. I mean, that's there. So they they don't spend a ton of time with it. But before we even get to the mothership, guys, we got to talk about the plan. Because this is what we come up with. Well, even before the plan, though, we didn't Go. bring up, though, that the fact that this alien ship seems to somehow only work when the mothership's around, right? I mean, that's what you guys got? Well, it seems like they're all being coordinated at the same time on the same signal. That's And there's an extended scene where Goldblum talks about that again to Brent Spider before he dies in the second act. But they're saying and that the ship like, spells it out to working, him. though. They couldn't get anything to work until the aliens showed up. I mean, even said it, it goes like, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening right. with the ship. And then it was uh, Goldblum who said, take off the legs. Because I guess it's thinking apparently just, it's always going to be able to levitate on its own. It doesn't need anything really running. So... My question well, is, uh, if that's the you, case, if this thing's running basically off the signal of the mothership, how the hell was this thing in Earth to begin with? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like... Hmm. I don't know. That's a good point. I, I never thought about it like that. Which we'll bring up later. Because they bring up... I mean, it is a focal point of this, that this ship, the only reason well, this ship works is because the mothership's here. Can, can I posit an answer to you? Uh, that's not a good one, but I'll give you an answer. When that little ship that's in Area 51 supposedly crashed. It was 1956. In 1956, we weren't even able to get people into orbit at that point. So we wouldn't have known if that ship was had, like, you know, docked on the dark side of the moon, sent one of its, you know, or sent some of its probes down, and then gone back home to get the battle plan together. I'm, I'm working for but the, 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 the ship crashed. Bit, okay, but, the ship hmm. crashed. And it obviously... <laughs> right, it, it and then they bugged out. After it crashed, when the center floating... The thing crashed. No, because the, because the mothership left, is what I'm saying, and then came back for the attack. Like, that's what I'm saying, is that they had been here before in a time when we could not uh, monitor them. And who's to say that they didn't have things planted on Earth to keep up with us the whole time? And so they realized, they hey, these folks have gotten to the point where they're eventually going to find us. It's time for us to go back to them. They didn't want to attack us when we're driving around in Model T's and wanted to wait 50 years until we had, like, <laughs> nukes and stuff. I didn't say they were smart aliens. I just said that that was their plan. These guys are getting dumber and dumber by the moment, but the movie's making it seem like that. I mean, okay. I mean, I think I think. Well, it's, you know what? It's it's as dumb. It's as dumb a plot point as well. We got this one hole that if you shoot something through it, it'll blow the whole ship up. But you know, if, if uh, price is if cost is no no uh, number, then we'll go ahead and fix it tomorrow and get estimates. You know, I mean, that's that's but the they plot point we're swallowing. Set in. up that they could have used the ship that crashed when Will Smith did that because that thing wasn't destroyed. They could right. have used that ship. I'm just saying this whole thing like, we've always had this ship, and now it's only suddenly working as the mothership. It fails when you use any bit of logic before it, and then at the end of the movie, all the logic's gone too with that whole scenario. I think what they should have done was, hey, let's go back and get the ship that crashed in the desert, and we'll bring that back. Patch it up if we have to, well, and we'll go. Po- point, point being, though, they want the ship because Levinson, in a drunken fit, hears his dad say something about, get up off the floor before you catch cold, and realizes... 
I'll give the aliens a computer virus, and that'll take them out. <laughs> okay, we got to talk about that right now, because if people bitch about the dog surviving, this is the other thing that everybody's like, wow. Well, first off, I didn't think Apple's had computer viruses. And secondly, alien technology is just as – they don't have antivirus either? Well, it works now, on the same properties work? as our stuff. I mean, it works in the same operating system, the same code, the same everything, right? I mean – it's 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 completely ludicrous. Em, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin will tell you that that is based on this scientific idea that mathematics would be the universal language of all creatures okay, across Joey the world. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, and I'm going. That's exactly what I'm like. You know I'm like, what? If you guys contact, are going to sit boys. there and quote like you know you know Carl Sagan here, don't no 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 no. This isn't the right way of doing it. Okay, I know that's like what he says. Like I've seen a lot of his stuff where math is a universal language, and that's how we can communicate with aliens in the future if there are aliens. But to sit there and say like I'm going to write a Trojan virus and send it into this computer is just—it's beyond ludicrous. Right, Kurt? <laughs> it, uh, eh, like like I was saying, I mean, leave it's the eight-year-old pretty... boy aside. <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't—it doesn't make sense. Like literally, the fact that. Uh, you know, a 1996 computer virus would be able to, at all affect, uh, this this unbelievably complicated alien technology. Like it'd be like trying to, you know, it's like a square peg and round hole. Like it just it, that part doesn't make any I mean, sense. How do they even know these things operate? How that computer. would work? I mean, I think the logical way to go would be that this mothership is what's controlling all the other ships. It's like chess. You know, this is like. The king, they're all here to protect it, but you get rid of that king, they're all they're all going to fall. We have a spaceship. Let's just see if we can get in. Let's do our own Trojan horse, literally, with the spaceship, get in there, and we're just going to shoot a nuke when we get in there. Yeah, like the virus, you don't, even, you don't even need the virus. All you need is to say, yeah, the, the, this the ship virus is will get the into virus the mothership. Is pointless. Well, no, 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 no. The, vo- the virus is not pointless. The virus, it disrupts their ability to use our communication satellites against each other. They do this whole setup with Levinson talking about if we just, uh, you know, if they're using our signals to communicate with each other and to bring us down, then we've got to turn that around and use it against them. And so that's what they do. Like, that, the whole point is that they take down the, they blow up the uh, shield on the forest moon of Endor long enough for us to fly some shit in there and blow it up. That's exactly what happens. This is Return of the Jedi, guys. That's the, oh, yeah. the whole third act of this said, movie. though, if we blow up this ship, that's where the signal's coming from. There's going to be no more signals. That, now yeah. the ships are going to be there by themselves. You know, they're, we're going to... I think maybe they just... <laughs> I think maybe they just had 10 minutes to fill and, like, let's do a, a scene about him describing well, they the virus. Well, why don't they just say, hey, the, the nuke- let's log on here and let's just disable our satellites. Let's just take them out. Why couldn't they have done something? Like- Maybe they weren't able to do that anymore with all the destruction. Like, that shoot happened. a nuke. I don't know. I don't I mean, know. <laughs> I'm just saying there, you know, if they would have just thought about this for five more minutes, I just think there would have been a better way than just bringing in this whole virus nonsense. I mean, at this point, you, you, you can write, they're writing the rules as they go. And they could have just said, they could have pulled a, you know, a Josh, a Josh, Josh, we didn't hear and say, hey, this main center thing's controlling them all. Let's just destroy the main center thing and everybody's going to fall. I mean, there's no reason they couldn't have done that, right? <laughs> I suppose. 
I, I suppose, but I mean, again, I, I think it's dumb movie logic, no doubt. I don't disagree with you, but I buy what they're trying to sell me at that point because they've sold it to me at this point that Levinson is smart enough to figure this shit out, that his dad always seems to come up with the right thing to say at the right time. There's all, I mean, they've, they've given me all of this. So I have no reason not to believe that this would work. I mean, it, it's dumb. It's, I'm not going to argue. It is completely stupid. It How is dumb. It, though, man? I mean, did, did get... that part I don't know. And that's that's the yes, thing that I get fuzzy on. Is... They got some type of Bluetooth connection going on here. <laughs> <laughs> they do some drop thing about you know there's a radio signal or some bullshit. But yeah, I, it's it's dumb. No, there's no doubt. It's a, it's a, one of the dumbest things ever. But. If I want the humans to succeed, and indeed I do as a member of the you know, human race, I have to go with it because I don't have any other choice. It it is as dumb as a lot of other movies tend to end. I mean, they're always I've always felt like the ending of Return of the Jedi was just dumb. You know, it's it's just kind of dumb, and you just go with it because you have to. I felt like the end of Avengers was dumb. I mean, there's yeah, the end of the uh, Phantom Menace is incredibly dumb, but it's all the same kind of dumb. It's if if I'm with you at that point then I'm going to go for it. I mean, and I'm going to tell you who you can blame all of this shit on. You, you can blame every bit of this on Steven Spielberg, who changed the end of the Jaws book instead of drowning the shark, which is how you kill a shark, to blowing it up by shooting a hole in a tank. I mean, that's the ultimate movie MacGuffin of all time. Yeah. And that's the same thing no, they're doing here. It's if, Return if, of the if, Jedi if, and the end of Jaws. Jaws. They would have had to inject the shark with a virus. And then blow it up. <laughs> or, or actually, they kind of did that in Jaws of Revenge. They made they put something in its mouth, and they were shocking them, and then they blew them up. Damn you, Jaws right. of Revenge! Well, yeah, that, that is what. <laughs> that's what Hooper's. That's what Hooper's original plan was. Let's you know, I'm going to inject them in the mouth with this poison. Uh, yeah, this uh, poison. That's right. That is what he was trying to do. So yeah, you're right. Oh so my God, it is I, you know, I, again, it's it is the dumb setup. But the question is, it, it's. I, I, I always ask this about this film when you get to this point. Are we finally to the point where there's just too much? They're asking me to accept too much. One, we can have a computer virus that infects the aliens. Two, Hiller can have been in one dogfight with one of these things. And yes, sir, I know how to fly one of these. You know, and I think Will Smith gets the second best line of the film when Levinson's like, you can fly that? And he's like, can you do any of that bullshit you just said? You know, I'm like, they're even calling that to the audience. Like, yeah, we know. Just just go with it. Well, here's the other thing now, too, is now oh, yeah, the, the president doesn't know where Area 51 is, but the aliens do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they figured that well, out. Actually, somehow. I read that as uh, the alien that was in the operating room in that moment was you know, linking up to the closest mothership and saying, yep, here I am, it and here's the rest of the of humans. Can't do that. You know, come. <laughs> well, telepathy. <laughs> Interesting point. That, that's a good, you know, that's a good gimme, Kurt. I never thought about that, that that would be how that happened, but that's probably the most logical answer to how they they found it. But it's also just a movie conceit that we have to have the clock ticking on the fact that these things are now coming after us in Area right Fifty One. And if you, Wars. I mean, yeah. this is right out of Star Wars. You even got the thing where you see it coming in on the radar, just like in in Star Wars. Yeah, we got we got to clear the 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 planet so we can fire at the the rebel base. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And here's here. the thing too: is like as, as this thing's getting closer, they send out all their little like pea shooter alien ships again, just to like shoot up the runway. What's the point? I mean, they know at this point that none of those jets even stand a chance against them. They can't penetrate their shields. Why even do that? You're going to shoot your big giant ray gun. 
I don't know. It just seemed like it was maybe just insult to injury. It was kind of oh. like, hey, we're going to go swat some more flies. Let's go have some fun, guys. I don't know. It just... Well, the, the, I think uh, having the ships, you know, the, the fighters come in and do that, I think that's a case of like, well, it looks cooler than just waiting around for the mothership to fire down. Like, it just, it just, I mean, it looks cool. I like the idea that the mother, that the, the fighters are, you know, yeah, they're shooting the runway, blowing up everything in its path. Like, I think that looked pretty cool. That's, for some reason, that CG stands out. It's like, I like that. It's the fighter planes that I think the CG doesn't look uh, as hot, but the ships, the alien ship, I think looks good. Well, it's just, even before this stuff, I mean, we get, we get both Bill Pullman's big Braveheart speech where he's telling everybody, you know, today will not be just America's Independence Day, but independent, or everybody's Independence Day. Yeah. And they're looking around for basically, right, any, like yeah. Jay said in this plot summary, anybody who can basically stand up straight. And then, you know what, if you can't stand up straight, you can still pilot <laughs> a plane. I mean, you got like the crop yeah, dusters, you, you got like the crazy Vietnam veteran guy there who's seen some stuff. I mean, yeah. you got <laughs> you got the big ragtag group of guys. I mean, Area 51's got more airplanes than pilots at this point, I guess, for some reason. So they're all <laughs> going to take off and do it. And I just, I just would love to see what their training was like to learn how to like shoot a missile. Because, you know, flying a crop duster has got to be just like flying a freaking F-16, right? Yeah, Matt. Well, Wendy Quaid was a Vietnam pilot, probably. I, I imagine uh, fighter pilot technology, whilst incredibly complicated, probably isn't that uh, evolved after 30 years. I mean, it's a joystick, here's the trigger, and so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they even dropped that thing where he's putting that picture of his kids up and he's trying to start his engine and he almost launches a missile. He's like, oh shit, you know, and he has to stop. I picked the elevator to quit drinking. A line totally out of airplane. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. why do we have to throw that in? But okay. <laughs> but the, the dogfight's going down. And of course, the president, now, now we haven't even mentioned this, the damn president says to the chief of Joint Chiefs of Staff, Robert Logan, guy and he's like what the hell are you doing mr president and he's putting on a flight suit he's like i'm a pilot i need to get up there with my people and i'm like hey man if you die we're all really screwed <laughs> like we're gonna be screwed anyway but it Wait might not be are good to let the president go into battle movie a lot. <laughs> he put, he put uh, on a flight suit <laughs> see i can do that <laughs> the, but they dropped this in the first like first two minutes of the damn movie is that he was a fighter pilot and he drops that line too. He's like, "I'm a fighter pilot. I need to be with my people." And I was like, "This, this is the conceit that is too far oh, for me." Like of yeah, all the things I'm willing right, to give right. this, I'm that, like, but my question is, yeah. how old was he in this movie? You think like probably like mid mid late forties, maybe what, in his forties, yeah, yeah, early forties. He a fighter pilot in. He was in the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, yeah. Desert Storm, 91. Five years ago, he was fighting. I could buy that. He would have been 35 or so. I would have bought it. Really Somebody from that war. movement for politics, guys. <laughs> I mean, was he even anything? Was it just like one day he woke up and decided he wanted to be president? Is this, is this like the legally I think he became a of, like, of presidents? It's like... Yep, he just won the president. I don't know. Like they, they don't, they don't say what he was before. When Levinson knocked him out, they said, "Well, he wasn't the president then." It's like, well, he must have been a senator or a congressman or something. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, but I don't know. Within within a decade of World War II, Eisenhower Gulf, was president, Gulf, wasn't he? Yeah. When it was what ninety two that ended ninety one. Right. This movie right. takes place in ninety seven. It's supposed to be in 96, yeah. 97. Yeah, right so along we're talking in there. So, yeah, I mean, he got discharged pretty quick after that. And for being an old guy like that, he was probably a lifetime military. I mean, the, the years don't add up to me, but whatever. We'll give it that conceit, too. <laughs> Well, okay, you're you're picking apart his career. I'm going. Why is the president being allowed? Because he's the to president. Go into the firefight, yeah. 
Is that I I don't mind I don't mind the fact that the president's in there because it, it not because of like when he says you know I belong in the air that's one thing but I, I what I like is the idea is like well if this doesn't work we're all dead anyway and I'd rather die in a fighter plane than die you know in a bunker uh, with the alien blast coming down like like if, if if I could fly a plane I think you'd you you know I'd be first in line it's like well pff, can you, See, there's no better way to go out better than, if they were than trying this. to get him out of dodge you know what i'm saying like they were like it's coming here we're getting you out of here and he was like i'm not going anywhere i'm staying here i'm making my last stand and i'm not going to stand right. up away to my knees praying i'm going to go do something about this so he he goes out anthony hopkins style in legends of the fall then is what you guys are saying huh. he goes out against the bear that's the the whole go here right i mean that's what yeah. they're setting up essentially is that he and he's the guy that fires the first shot that doesn't work after they've loaded up the virus and everybody's like oh shit get out of there and then he's like no i'm gonna fire one more and one more works and now here's the thing that gets me is that they see that it hits the thing and they see the damage it does and then they were like well there's like 20 of us let's fire everything we got at it and two minutes later they're like we're out of missiles and we barely put any pod marks in the thing <laughs> like they didn't figure out early enough maybe we should shoot at the giant opening <laughs> you know nobody figured yeah. that out <laughs> that is what's amazing to me is how incompetent the military is again throughout again, well remember all these- they got is jets they don't have any other weapons all they yeah. got is jets they don't have any like you said cruise missiles they don't have any air to ground you know ground to air anything at this base Oh yeah, I remember the proper, you know, the proper, you know, Marine Corps, Air Force, Navy, Air Force. Like they're all dead. This is all. This is whoever's left who knows how to fly a plane. Like they don't know necessarily know what they're but, doing. But but Area Fifty One though. I mean, that's so it's a military base. They're gonna have more weapons there than that. You would think, but apparently not. I mean, so, they could even done something cool again. Been the, like, hey, you know what? We we learned a lot well, of hell, this alien stuff, and we actually like made like more advanced weapons that we're gonna use now. You know. Well, they can't even get their technology right because the computer guy says, we're out of missiles, and then Randy Quaid flies up like, no, I got one left. And it was like, well, shit, you guys don't even know what you got in the, the hangar. You know, I mean, they're they're completely backward of each other. But it's all the big setup, though, is, you know, you knew it was going to be, it had to be either the president or Randy Quaid takes the last well, you shot, knew it wasn't right? the president so the, the no. daughter and the wife stuff. They're not going to do that. They're not going to be that mean. Right. So it's going to be Randy Quaid, and of course, of all the missiles that have been shot on that day, his would be the one that somebody didn't load on the jet right, and then then it malfunctions on the firing pin. So he decides to suicide bomb the aliens. Yeah. And And, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe you guys think that is absolutely ridiculous. I still love that scene, and because I love death scenes where uh, somebody dies with gusto or dies laughing. I just, I love uh, moments where guys are laughing in the face of death. I think of Baron Munchausen literally laughing in the face of death, dodging death's scythe. And I love that scene. It's like, I'm going to die, you know, and he's like, uh, hello, boys, I'm back, which, I mean, it's absolutely corny, but it's well, like, it's be better. Like six it, I, I like that as he's a, like, it keeps on going. He's like, I got to do another line. He's like, hello, boys, I'm back in my generation. <laughs> says up yours you know it's always like he's got a he's got yeah. like six like ending lines well i guess if you're going out you got to get it all out at one time man i mean absolutely <laughs> yeah but you know what this i mean i've seen this suicide attack work before it, it is a 
an interesting way to go. It's just that I think it, the thing is, it's with a character that has been such a loser the whole time that, of course, he would be. The, I mean, it is corny. You have to admit, it's incredibly corny that he would have oh, to yeah. be the guy that. And then they even have that scene with Adam Baldwin and and not Keanu Reeves. Like, you should be really proud of your father. <laughs> oh, I am. You know, I mean, like, that was totally yeah. unnecessary. Yeah, that particular his, like his oldest son, that particular actor. Yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell him that when he gets back. No, no he's he's dead. Oh, I know, but I'm, I'm, he's okay, okay right? No, he back. should have. You know, he can have a drink, guys. I mean, he gave it up. But. He he should he should have turned to to Captain whatever there, Captain America, and said, "Strange things are afoot in the skies above Area One today, sir." <laughs> I mean, that's what he should have done. But you know what? It's the anticlimax, though. Damn it! Because we've still got Goldblum and Will Smith up in the space hell or whatever, and they're smoking yeah. cigars, going, "We're going out. We're going to fire the nuke. Whatever. We've got thirty seconds, but screw it. We know we're going to die." So, but they have no idea what's going on back at home. They have no clue that all this has worked, and so they fire the nuke yeah. off. And for whatever and, reason, that one thing releases the light. Well, and let's let's even fast we'll go rewind a little bit. These aliens with all their infinite technology don't notice that this spaceship has got a lot of aluminum parts on it. I mean, visible parts on there that are obviously not from their <laughs> world. And then it has a effing rocket launcher on the bottom of the ship. This thing isn't hidden. It's out there. I mean, it's just hanging out there like a like a horse ready to freaking breed, man. It's just sitting there. And they, they don't even <laughs> notice it. These guys just sitting there. He's looking at it like, hmm, I'm going to try to open the... Oh, it's got a metal hatch over the visor. I'm going to try to open it. You know, it's like the guy's the worst guy in the world. <laughs> this this customer service operator is terrible. But it's like these aliens deserve to die at this point. If it wasn't able to point out that this random spaceship just appears there with all these new parts and a giant rocket launcher on the bottom, it doesn't really do anything about it. It's just dumb. Well, <laughs> well, like like I said, it's it's a third act. It's like uh, you know. It's like, I think the writers or whatever, I mean, uh, it's like, we got to wrap this up somehow because I mean, it's either, it's either the aliens are going to win or we're going to take them out. And, you know, we written ourselves into a corner, like you say, like we got to do something to end this movie. And, you know, that's that, that movie takes that kind of logic. It's like, who it's like, it's, it's a movie, you know, uh, the audience won't care. Like at this point in the movie, like we're, we're not watching the movie right now, but like while you're watching the movie in the heat of it, if you're into the movie, like, you know, you're, you're a hundred percent, you know, with it. Well, and then to top it off after they like open up the visor and like start waving at the alien, like, Hey guys, how's it going? No, how you doing? It just, it's really silly at this yeah. point. And then of course, you know, oh, yeah. it shoots the rocket but again, I, uh, at the guy. They shoot it at the, cons- at the, at the, uh, customer service guy. And he goes flying back with the missile, and he's, like, laying there next to it. Yeah. You know, and he, like, of course, wakes up right before it explodes. Like, he's looking at the numbers countdown. I don't know. It's just stupid. I mean, of course, yeah, the uh, the alien ship somehow you know, releases their ship, and then they take off and stuff. And, of course, you get a nice little, like, nice little chase again with the other ones going after her. And, of course, you know, the door that they got, this big giant door, is, like, closing just slow enough so they can get out. It's it, that is Empire Strikes Back meets Return of the Jedi. Right. That's the worm on the asteroid and flying out of the yeah. superstructure as it's all blowing up, right? I mean, that's what I felt watching that. Oh, it it definitely is. I mean, that's, oh, yeah, that's like Jones, you know, like you know, 
putting his hand underneath the door to grab the, you know, grab his hat before it comes down. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's a movie trope that they're going to escape at the last second. But it's just when you go back to watch that first third of the movie, you know, all of July 2nd, I mean, it's just like, it doesn't really mesh with that first part of the movie. And, of course, I'm going to get back and look oh, yeah. into about the whole alien ship being able to control the smaller ones or giving it power. They blow up the mothership. How is that thing still flying? <laughs> uh, you we'll talking about the the, the, yeah. the little the one? ships on Earth? Yeah. Well, okay, hey, okay. Look, I was gonna, I was thinking about this while you guys were talking about the link between the ships. I did. I never read it as uh, like in the Avengers. It's you know the middle ship blows up and all the aliens die that are on the ground. I never think that that's how it's going in Independence Day. It's just that the mothership is only broadcasting the the shields. And like, and that's all that the but mothership then how is connected that ship with. Like that the, was at Aries, the mothership the one that wasn't able to fly until the mothership showed up. How is it not working? Or how is it not? Well, that's the vi- that's the virus to uh, just to buy a few more minutes to. Uh, yeah, it's, that, that's the virus. That's not the new. That's as lame as the virus plot, dude. And that's not working for me. Oh, I, I don't. I mean, I'm not denying at this that. point, I mean, it was like the ship. The, the whole thing was that ship can only work as the mothership's here, and now the mothership's blown up, but yet they're still able to pilot it back to Earth. Well, let me ask another question. Well, I'm, I'm asking too many questions about Will Smith's ability to pilot the ship. One, how does he know how to get to the mothership? Two, because I know eventually it brings him in, but he has to get to it first. And two, how does he know how to crash land it back at Area 51? You know, I mean, the Earth had turned at that point a little bit. How did he know where his window was? I mean, landing from space is not an easy thing. It's not easy to land anything that's flying in the air, but it sure as hell ain't easy from space. Like, you have to do it in a very specific way. I don't care what you're flying. And that, that to me, has always been like that. How did he know to crash land 20 yards from where everybody else was? You know, I mean, did they have like a right. did they have a hell of a tom tom on that thing? I mean, or even what? like when they you know they show like the spaceship obviously <laughs> kind of like crash land pretty hard, and they're okay. I mean, they're walking away from that thing like, yep, hey guys, smoking our cigars here. Oh yeah, you know, wife's gonna be mad I'm smoking this, but you know, hey, here we are. Well, isn't that the whole thing, though? Like, we're supposed to just go with it, right? But it does... It, I'm with you, Nick. Like, the way this film ended the first act, and then the way it is ending this one, they don't seem like they're in the no, same movie. Like I said, I, they really wrote themselves into a into a hole. And I think when they were writing this script or whatever, they're just like, you know, screw it, guys. Let's just, let's just throw stuff at here and see what sticks. You know, even if it doesn't stick that well, let's just go with whatever we go with. And the, the ending of the movie is just stupid. I mean, it, 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 it went... Well, let, let me ask you this: Would it work better if we saw what Levinson and 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 him were and Hiller were doing at the same time as we saw the other air battle going down? Like the fact that it comes after they've crashed all those ships, it would seem to me that the mothership would realize, shit, what happened to all my other ships? You know, <laughs> like what happened to that one I had over there? You know, like they would know that. You know, there's no, they seem to have no response to that at all. Would it work better if, like, all of that was going down simultaneously and they just cut it in between a little bit differently? Could have. I mean, it's just that at this point, though, everything's yeah. just so stupid. I mean, it's, editing is the least of its concerns right now. You know, they weren't going to let them oh, yeah. die. That was not I ever mean, happen, I think in a better right? movie, so they if, if they're just been a suicide mission. 
Right, but we've already had Randy Quay commit suicide for the better cause. We can't let Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum do it, too. Because, you know, they got a wife yeah. and kids to go back to now. You know, I mean, that's where Jeff they Gold, are. Jeff, Jeff Goldblum didn't have anybody to I don't know. To. I mean, he's got... Oh no! He no no no! He hooked back up with the ex redheaded wife or whatever. Like they were oh, they were holding she, hands. Yeah, the press and, secretary. Yeah, they were they were holding hands. They were hold they were holding hands at, at the stripper's wedding. Oh, okay. that's right. They, 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 they were clearly were back they together. Went up. Oh my <laughs> god! Yes. Right, and yeah, the stripper gets married right before she her I'll, husband I'll, goes it'll, on the it'll death. It's funny at that point, you know. So, cause I guess I guess she I guess she wanted those benefits. I don't know. Maybe that's what it was. He was like, "Hey, make sure she gets my insurance." Hey, by the way, if your plan doesn't work, it ain't gonna matter. <laughs> but, you, know. you do know she's a stripper, right? <laughs> you sure, you want to do this? <laughs> Uh, that actually might have worked, but uh, yeah, I would have finished that that way. Well, guys, I think we've talked about it long. We've almost talked about it as long as the movie is. It's time. We have. <laughs> yeah. It is time for us to get final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, Nick, Kirk, what are yours for Independence Day? Nick? It's a medium popcorn, guys. I mean, the movie, I mean, we ripped on it pretty good, but it does have a very, very solid first third. I mean, this is like what I said is probably the biggest summer movie i can remember you know back when i was a child and it does have a lot of good a lot of good moments and but there's a lot of bad ones so it kind of evens up to just kind of be an average meddling movie in the end when you unrewatches. so to me it's just a medium popcorn kurt well uh eight-year-old kurt absolutely gave this movie an extra large popcorn i mean you know this is an extra large with a few more buckets of popcorn like i, I could not have loved this movie more back then as i said multiple rewatches just digging it the whole time. Uh, 25-year-old Kurt gives it a large popcorn. I still enjoy the film. Guilty pleasure. I acknowledge the stupidity uh, within the film, but I still think the first 45 minutes when where the cities are being destroyed, that stuff is still, I don't want to say powerful, but that stuff is still really good. Like, it's... it's uh, it's it's something else. I mean, I was, I was thinking about this. Before independence, I mean, this might be, up to 1996, this might be the biggest, in terms of, like, the size of a plot, is this the biggest film of all time at the time in terms of the entire planet is involved and, and so on? Anyway, but uh, yeah, I give it a large popcorn. Still good, corny, uh, but still, I think, very enjoyable movie. I think this film is medium popcorn all the way, but it's that really good medium popcorn that hasn't gone stale totally yet. <laughs> There's enough butter still hanging around in there that it's worth it. It is a it is the definition of a summer dumb fun kind of film. And I really think the first third of this film is what saves it for me hmm. on rewatching because the setup is so good that I want to see the end of it even though it is corny, even though it is cheesy. I have to say it's it's worth watching on that. I think it's even more fun with a group of people. Like you're sitting around, if this is on television, or you're sitting around watching this together. And it's, I mean, if you want to have like bad movie nights, this is probably the best of all of them. But I, I, I think there's enough here that you can have fun with, make fun of, and then there's enough to still invest in. But it's still medium popcorn. But that's not a bad thing always. Sometimes yeah. medium popcorn can be good, and I think that's what this is. This is an example of good medium popcorn fun. And, I mean, look at all the things we talked about that have ripped this off. I mean, not don't even worry about what this ripped off. This was staged as a ripoff of everything else. I mean, they admitted that up front. But everything that has borrowed from this in the 17 years since it was made, I mean, this this movie has been remade a dozen times at least. Yeah. And not even by... by 
Same different. film director. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> That's not including all the times he's tried to remake it. So, right. I, yeah, it's it's one that I think does hold. And if you ever, you know, if you look at Will Smith now and you wonder, how the hell was this guy ever this mega blockbuster star or whatever? Well, you have to go back and watch this movie and watch the original Men in Black to really get why he just took over box offices for a short amount of time. And, I, again, you know, there's things about those movies that work that none of the subsequent ones did. But uh, this one still works on that level, so I go medium popcorn with it, but a good solid medium and, and a lot of fun. Certainly was a lot of fun to review with you two guys. So, Kurt, Nick, thanks for joining me in this latest edition of Filmstrip. Folks, you can find more reviews in the archive section of our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. If you go to Continuous Play's homepage, you can also find links to The Art of Slaying, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective, and to The Fabish Factor, Kurt's uh, show where he uh, does general movie discussion and list talk and all kinds of other stuff on there. You can check all of that out. Find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages and also a link to our iTunes feed. Leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast. Podcast. So, fellas, until next time, uh, when we reconvene this, uh, we'll have to find another film to, to go with. We've done Gladiator together now, and we've talked Game of Thrones over on Fabish Factor. Now we've done Independence Day. I think we need a, a period drama. I think you guys need to jump in on some of that sens- <laughs> sensibility action with me or something. But, uh, we'll, we'll find something that's... Pride and prejudice. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So I think uh, somewhere we'll have to find a way to reconvene. Until then, folks, thanks for listening to Films Trip. Thanks for listening to Films Trip. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All right. Look at us. Take a look at the earth thing. Goodbye. I'll take care, all right? Number love for you. Number love for you. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. 